0: This week on episode 17, part two, Sherry Oz from Baseball Hall of Fame to DEA.
1: So um, here I am at the airport and I'm working in an addiction, which is different than what I'm, I'm used to. It's, it's short, quick hits and not necessarily long-term investigations. And I stumble upon uh, it, this gang and that's really what it is. It's a violent criminal street gang that is now working at the Los Angeles International Airport. And as I start to, and I just came from this gang investigation, so I'm really sensitive and well, my skills are, are, I guess, primed for this investigation at this time in my life. And I partner with the airport police at LAX who are outstanding. These guys, they try so hard to keep their airport safe and they work so hard. And then I had LA Sheriff's Department and LAPD. So I had the best possible crew of people to kind of help me sift through uh, what I thought I was dealing with.
0: Welcome to Game of Crimes. Everybody, welcome back to part two of uh, this episode with Sherry Oz, uh, episode seventeen. This one's a little bit different because when we dropped the episode on Monday, we uh, had no idea, obviously, what was going to go on. But um, kind of tragedy hit Sherry, you know, and the DEA family. And I know Steve, you've got some information on that, so we just want to take some time explain to you what was going on before we actually get into the episode.
2: Right. So uh, first of all, you know, one of our brothers was killed out there. Uh, and when I say brothers, I don't just mean DEA. I mean the law enforcement community because we're all brothers and sisters. Um, and what happened was uh, Monday, the two DEA agents and a Tucson police officer who was a task force officer were doing a train interdiction uh, in Tucson, Arizona. And that's basically where they go on a train, and they just look for anything suspicious because the, you know the, if you've ever <laughs> ridden Amtrak, you don't go through metal detectors or anything. You just show your ID and a ticket, and you're on board. And so they're looking you know, primarily for drugs and money, you know, drug-related proceeds, that kind of thing. Well, they approached two guys. Um, unbeknownst to them, one of them was wanted for first-degree murder. So, as they're trying to talk to him, he pulls a gun out and he shoots group supervisor Mike Garbo. He hits him two times in the face and four times in the chest and this is I'm going to guess this is probably within about ten feet or less of each other. Unfortunately, uh, Agent Garbo died at the scene they if you, the city the video is on YouTube. you can watch it. You can see the police officers carrying him out and throwing him in the back seat of a cruiser and rushing to the hospital. He didn't survive. A special agent, Fox, was with him from DEA. Uh, He was hit. You know what? Actually, I'm sorry. Fox was the one that was shot twice in the face and four in the chest, but he survived. He's in critical condition. Uh, Garbo was shot four times in the abdomen. Uh, And then the Tucson police officer was also shot once in the chest, and he had a grazing wound on his leg. Now, the... Shooter went and barricaded himself uh, in a bathroom, and he died in that bathroom. The last reports I've read, they don't know if it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound or the Tucson SWAT team shot him. Uh, the other guy that was with him surrendered, and and the, the investigation is going on. But it's, you know, we try to be updating everything when we do our shows here, and we want you guys to have fun. But we also uh, just want to put this out. Our hearts go out to everybody in DEA, to the Tucson Police Department. We wish Fox and the TFO uh, speedy recoveries, complete full recovery. God bless you. The Garbo family, you're in our prayers. And we ask our listeners, um, say a prayer and just keep them all in, in, in mind. Uh, it's horrible when something like this happens.
0: Yeah, and I saw uh, Sherry actually, and this is what made it personal too. We just got through talking to Sherry. We got a lot of comments about how upbeat she is, you know, how personable Mm -hmm. she is. But then to see her lead off that press conference talking about, you know, sadly I can confirm, yeah, you know, and it's just it's heartbreaking. So we wanted to break this up. Normally, I just like I say, I do the quick intro, get you into this, but this was special because we recorded the episode, we dropped it on Monday, and then right after we dropped it, is when this shooting happened in Tucson. So. We didn't want to mix this up with the outro uh, where Steve and I cut up, because it just didn't seem appropriate, you know, to mix those things. So we wanted to, you know, make sure that we paid our respects, uh, you know, let everybody know that, hey, policing is a dangerous business. And when you see in that video, too, the one that shows the outside of the train station, and you see that officer when the shot's fired, he goes running in there, you know. um, Cops, and, firefighters, paramedics, or if soldiers, you know, are are those few people who run towards the sound of gunfire and not away from it.
2: That's right. And if you watch that video, you'll see the bad guy. He even comes to the door and fires three rounds at one of the police officers outside. I mean, that guy's wide open. So uh, let's just end it up here by saying God bless all the men and women in uh, law enforcement. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for keeping us safe. Uh, our prayers go out to you and your families. God bless.
0: Yep. Yeah. so let's get into uh, episode seventeen, part two of Sherry Oz from Baseball Hall of Fame to DEA. And again, um, we want to separate this stuff, but we did want to be upfront with you guys and let you know this this was a tough uh, intro and outro to record based on what happened. So we're going to do our best, um, and we will soldier on just like they will. And God bless the warriors. So stay tuned. Episode seventeen, part two, coming your way right now. So what was his cover story? How how does somebody get out of prison? All of a sudden, it's like he's in prison on a Friday and he's out on a Monday and there's no parole hearing. There's no prob. I mean, you know, how do you arrange that so that he's out of prison and it doesn't raise red
1: flags? So we we posed that to him, like, what are we going to say? And he said, I, he knows what he was going to do. He said, I'll tell them you guys lost the dope. And I said, do you think that would work? And so he wrote a letter to one of the maid guys saying, hey, they lost the dope in my case. I'm going to get out and that they everyone believed it but also this informant had had such a history in the in the organization that he could have said anything and he was an enforcer. So nobody was going to really question him. So a lot of it is when you're choosing the people to help you on your investigation, their role in the organization is hugely important. So he was, he was always an enforcer. He was always somebody who was respected. Um, So we just kind of played on that and we were able to kind of spin our own narrative and people didn't really ask him too many questions. They were just happy to see him.
2: And they're afraid of
0: him.
1: They are afraid of him, which helped a lot.
0: Yeah, which helped a lot. It also kept you safe in a way, too, right? Because it, less chance that, you know, um, somebody's going to try and do something foolish, you know, while you guys are together. So Was right. he convicted of up, f- any
1: murders? Uh, he was not convicted of a murder. That would have been tougher for me to get him out of prison. Right, right. Oh, was he ever pr- suspected in one? I'm sure he was suspected, um, but I don't—well, I'm sure he was suspected. Nothing was on his rap sheet. That's right. what. That's what an enforcer right. does. Yeah. Right. Well,
0: that's what I'm saying. You know, you, but the, the thing is you deal, you you play the hand of cards that you're dealt, right? And how often do you get the opportunity for somebody like this to come to you and say, hey, I'm willing to do this. So when you're weighing it and the, you know, the balance, the risk and reward is kind of like, this is worth the risk. So how long did it take you to do the paperwork? And what was that paperwork like to get him out of prison? Because I can't <laughs> imagine it's like, hey, here's an email, you know, just write a little memo, which you were good at, obviously, as we yes, determined, right. you know, established History. through the academy. right? Yeah. So um, what, what was that? What was that paperwork like to get him out?
1: It's pretty significant, as you can imagine, because it's, you know, the bureaucracy of, of DEA is one gift we keep giving over and over. There's always going to be paperwork.
2: One of our names um, is administration.
1: Mm-hmm. So I actually got a hotel room. I checked myself into a hotel room and I stayed up and wrote and wrote and wrote until it was finished because I knew I couldn't be distracted and I had to get this done. How long so did it take you? It, it took me, well, at least. Probably forty-eight hours of straight writing, typing. You pulled two all-nighters. Uh, several times during uh, during this deployment, yes.
2: You know, and, and oh wow. You know, Sherry. There's probably people listening to this to think who are thinking, why would we ever go make the effort to get a convicted criminal, a lifelong criminal, out of prison? You know, and and here's the reason, and tell me if you agree with it. Have you ever had a preacher come in as an informant or, or maybe the head of a nonprofit organization like the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or anything like that? Are any of those people informants?
1: No, and I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yes.
2: Right. So you have to deal with the dregs of a society is probably the nicest way I can think of to put it, because like in my case, I grew up in a as white as you can get. I'm an English Irishman who grew up in a middle-class, blue-collar family who, you know, I got in trouble with the cops, but it was just because we were being mischievous. It wasn't because I was enforcing somebody's will on somebody else, maiming people, threatening them, assaulting them, possibly murdering them. You have to deal with the worst of the worst to go after those that are even worse than those people, right? Is that a fair way of saying it?
1: Absolutely. And, and that is such a cautious and thoughtful part of an investigation because it is a risk, right? What if I had let this guy out of prison and he had broken bad and hurt somebody, right? Right. That's my liability then to carry. And could I live with myself? Um, So I was pretty confident by the, by the time I actually did, made the steps to get him out. I was pretty confident I was going to be able to control him. And control is Is one of those things in DEA, FBI, when we have informants having constant control and building those relationships. Part of it is also, this is going to sound wrong, but having informants care about their relationship with you Mm -hmm. because they don't want to disappoint you. He did such a great job. And in part because the other police officers and I had this relationship with him where he really wanted to make us proud. Mm-hmm. And and he was very focused on. the He would have made a great DEA agent. He would have made a great anything because he was a hard worker and he was really smart. So we picked the right guy for this. It could have gone bad if he was not the right guy. So it's, it's
2: not a, it's not something that's just taken lightly. Like hey, let's go get you know Joe Blow. Let's go get Morgan Wright out of prison. You know for sodomy on animals or whatever he's in there for this <laughs> time.
0: Um, Steve, we agreed gonna, we weren't going to say anything moments. about that in <laughs> yeah. public. Please,
2: but you, but you, you know, you. I mean, you, that's one of your major roles is determine is to determine what his motivation is. I mean, that, and that's true with any informant I walk in.
0: Oh, that's a key thing too. Why are you doing? Why Why do you want out? And and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, revenge is is a is a is a good motivation, right? I mean, I, I want to yep. get revenge, but it has to be balanced, though but are is it blinded revenge you know do you are you do will you do anything at any cost or did with him it sounds like it was a slow stew it was a slow boil until he got to the point where it was kind of like you know what been here all this time not one card not one letter i mean that to me is a little different than somebody maybe hurts one of his family or kills one of his family god forbid and he wants he's out for revenge then you're thinking oh he'll do anything and say anything
1: no this was a very intelligent and thoughtful um revenge Really?
0: Well, let's. So the reason you got him out was uh, we were talking about, right, you now you're working a murder for hire investigation. How did that how did that come about?
1: So once we get him out and we're able to establish kind of his place back in real quickly,
0: did you get him out? Did he did he come out because he knew about this murder for hire? Did this murder for hire come about as a result of him getting out?
1: As a result of him, because now that he's back as the enforcer, they're going to give him jobs. So we got him out. We got him back into the mix. Um, We drove around and saw some of his, the guys in his little clique of the gang, and they loaded him up with guns. I was driving a a Hummer, and all of a sudden he's coming out with long guns, and I kind of didn't know... (laughs) What just happened? Uh, Because he was back. So they just, everybody started loading him up. huh? Everybody gave him weapons. He could buy guns from anyone. We had ATF involved with us too at this point, because we realized this is going to be a um, kind of a shit show when it comes to violence and weapons. So he, uh, once he was back and established, he just had to get his phone number out there and then everyone was calling him. And what had happened was the San Bernardino gangs, there's a series of cliques in San Bernardino and they all pay allegiance to Mexican mafia. And they're also very closely associated with the Indian reservation that's in the area. Those kids on the reservation grew up very uh, impoverished and they grew up as part of the gang population there. And so they're indoctrinated very, very early. Inevitably, they build a casino on that uh, reservation and those kids go from being living in poverty to being multi-millionaires and it's overnight for them so the thing about money is it doesn't solve problems no it just
0: makes your problems with a bigger price tag, and they don't know how to handle wealth because they've never had it before
1: no so now instead of buying college educations or uh food they're buying you know cars for their Me- their made members of the mexican mafia they're they're paying taxes now and th- the entire gang is now taking advantage of the wealth of these these few people that that were able to profit from the the reservations. So, and,
0: and the official name of this this was the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians was the uh, reservation, right? It was the tribe?
1: Yes, and it had th- these beautiful houses on the reservation. It was uh, spectacular. But now we have a lot of gang members who are either marrying in or part of this themselves, and but that. Disrespect that those little slights that our gangs are really known for overreacting to, like if you don't make eye contact or if you say, I don't like that guy or don't give that guy respect, that is a significant violation in in the gang world. And so we had a, a situation where there was at a bar, a local bar that was open, uh, there were two of the the gang members that were also uh, reservation. Of, they were members of the band of Mission Indians. So bar's closing and the manager asks them to leave. It's time to go. And they say no. Um, and they throw down the name of the made Mexican mafia member. And they say, well, this guy, uh, do you know who this guy is? And he says, F that guy. The The manager does. And so apparently that is Ooh. a violation punishable by death. So they call, uh, and in the meantime we now we have Title threes going up, or wiretaps. We have more to the investigation because we're we're kind of in it already. And then all of a sudden they're calling the informant and asking him to go take care of this guy, and we get the main member of the the Mexican mafia to, to call and order the green light on him. So now we have a, a murder. And they don't offer him anything because they never do. They're just wanting him to do it because he's a member of the gang. And so we take it. We we take the contract, and um, because, and mostly because we don't want we don't want to say no and have him give it and to have somebody, somebody else. else
0: actually do the murder. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: So we have to go then in the, the middle of the night and now contact this this guy from the bar and let him know, and um, and now convince him to allow us to fake his his murder which we we did. It wasn't easy, but we- Which
0: you learned by faking the murder of the uh, Mongols, you know, in right. Tijuana, Mexico right. before, right? So that's why I said, remember folks, this is a complicated podcast. We tie a lot of things together. So you learned some lessons from that first murder for hire.
1: Yeah, because that one worked. So I thought this one will work too, right? And so now I'm the expert at faking murders in case that comes up <laughs> as a life skill <laughs> anywhere. Um, but we were able to do it and we- we were pretty convincing, um, you know. The the wild card being the dead guy who's still alive, right? So we were able to keep. You him.
0: skipped over it. You, it's called burying the lead. You said we made it pretty convincing. What makes it pretty convincing? Just a photograph, you know, so, a chalk outline, a yellow tape. What makes it convincing?
1: So for us, it was mostly that informant, but we did stage the vehicle so that it would be found. And obviously we're doing this with the police. So there's other people that see it. So it looks like the vehicle has been, you know, abandoned on the side of the road and we put it where a gangs would see it and the doors are left open. So it's it looks like a murder scene. And then the informant is able to call and confirm and give details for how it's done. And also they, they did provide us a weapon. So that was one of the things too, that we asked for, can you give us a weapon so that we can commit this mostly for evidence um, and to, and to see who was really involved in that, that conspiracy. So we were able to get a lot of evidence going up to there. Um, And then it was the, the call of confirmation that, we were able to report back that it was done. And then there were subsequent conversations repeatedly uh, and even sometimes checking to make sure that we had actually taken care of the right guy. Cause there was some talk of the guy that we had killed not being dead. Um, So we, you know, the maid guy had called the informant to say, are you sure you, you got the right guy? Uh, So we had to confirm most of that. And again, but for the reputation of this informant who was so solid and such a big part of this gang, we would not have been able to do what we did.
0: So did you have pictures though, too? Did you have to take pictures or provide anything?
1: We didn't do pictures. And I, with the Mongols, that was the, the big thing. They had really great convincing pictures. We didn't, and we thought about that, but my, my victim didn't want to pose. for this, So I couldn't force him to do it.
0: Oh man, but that's that's really kind of the clincher too. If you can, because look with Hollywood, you know, and special effects and stuff like that, you can you can make you can make somebody believe by looking at a photograph. Uh, you know, brains blown out. You know, half the face missing. Whatever it is, you can make somebody believe from a photograph. Yeah, this dude's dead.
1: Absolutely. Had we more time, I think that's something we would have done. Um, because I probably could have convinced the guy eventually, but we had to turn around this this murder right away for fear that somebody else would do it. You know, gangs, it's not like it's an open contract and they're they're fighting for money. They're fighting for respect. So they right. all kind of want that job.
0: And like, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get the respect for the gang. Well, this is open source research, so we're not giving anything. Away. I know you've kind of died of the name, but the name is Eric Barajas and uh, Stacy Cheyenne Nunez Barajas. And what was interesting, again, about this, too, is that you guys made such a great case they actually they actually were, you know, convicted. Um they were sentenced to prison. But the problem is the one guy the one guy got it. She didn't. She didn't figure it
1: out. Right? No, she didn't. Okay.
0: That's 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 a setup for you to continue on the story. No, Sheree, this is not court like yes or no. Work with me here. Toss me a bone.
1: So, um yes, all of those those people and they were given probation, I think, was our initial sentence, and they failed to do just the simplest things. And this is, again, where they have so much money now, but they never had the basic ideas of, of human behavior. They were just making bad decisions their entire lives. So here we but have— you got,
2: So this is a murder conspiracy where, you know, conceivably could have been carried out, and they got probation—
0: Mm. Five years probation. What the hell's wrong with that? Is this the Ninth District we're talking about? Oh, no, about? no, no.
2: But look, let it me tell you, event. karma yes, is course. a bitch. I mean, car-
0: this, this is a good one, though. You know, if they get five years probation in the beginning, right? Yeah, Go but, on, Sherry.
2: Remember Lou, Lou, Lou Velozzi did his murder for hire thing when he was working undercover. And, and that doctor, he got years and years for the murder conspiracy. Of course, that was in Georgia, too.
1: Now, our maid guy, he got a lot more time. And his brother got a lot more time. So the, there were other better sentences, but the two that were actually there and part of the the initial problem, they had a lot of money and they they got a very light sentence.
2: Are you saying somebody got paid off?
1: I'm just saying that <laughs> they justice is what it was, right? And so as law enforcement, we can only do our part. And right. I, I try not to spend a lot of time worrying about Right, somebody else's job. I try to just do my job. I know Absolutely. at the end of the day, i I sleep well because I did everything I could. Absolutely. And if I pass it off and it it fails, um, you have to do a little self-assessment, reflection on that, but you have to be proud of yourself every day. well, you're very so,
2: diplomatic.
1: Yes, I'm trying to be. That's because she's a sack and in charge. <laughs> yes. and gives she doesn't have to write a
2: memo.
0: She has to be
1: diplomatic. <laughs> I still, right. I still have a job for right now. So I want to. If I this were
0: Starsky it. and Hutch, Steve, she'd be Huggy Bear.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. I'd be sliding over the top of that car, is what I'd be doing.
0: <laughs> Hood sliding like Bo yes. yes.
1: and Enjoying it. Yes, I would. It, well, that was many years ago where my hips didn't feel the way they do now, my knees. So, um, but she was given very simple instructions. This is what you have to do. Probation is really a second chance, and it's very easy. You have to follow these rules, and there's not that many. It's a simple one. Don't break the fucking law. Yes. So, like, it, it's really designed for success. Like, oh, all I got to do is call in once a week, and then go take a drug test, and then not commit a fel- not felony. Not rob
0: banks, not kill people. Just keep it Shh. simple.
1: Right? should be Basic instructions, and in this case, as in many cases, she wasn't able to do that. So they were resentenced. I think her, her brother was fine. Eric was okay. Um, he was fine. But-
0: this is two weeks, though. This is two weeks after she's sentenced. She goes back into the reservation, back into the bar, which she was banned from by the, tri- by the tribe and told not to come back. She And for that simple misdemeanor act of trespassing, she got sentenced to 17 years.
1: Yes. And there's justice,
2: right? If you could see us right now, you'd see a big smile on Sherry's face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I've taught Steve too, because
0: Steve used to talk about our viewers. And I said, Steve, we're a podcast. You know, they're only (laughs) listeners. So I had to train him on that too. Yes. Our listeners. Yeah. But but, but that was so interesting. But when this happened too, um. This uh. This uh. Informant of yours was there. Some, was this the case, or was there a different one? But this was this the one where he wanted you to wear a special T-shirt during the arrests.
1: Yes. So, um, because his his motivation for this entire investigation, and he ravaged the city. He ravaged these gangs. Uh, they have never fully recovered from this investigation. He had tattooed on his body a saying and it was his click name of his gang with the word finest so i wore a shirt for the takedown that said dea's finest because he wanted them to know when i interviewed all of them that he was with me he he wanted there to be no mistake that he was also in trouble he wanted them to know it was him that took them all down and
2: yeah, that he knew what he was doing Yep. He wanted credit. Sweet.
0: <laughs> All I can think of is that Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, and he just farted in the elevator. He got out and he looks at everybody and goes, it was me. That's what <laughs> yes. he wanted, right? He wanted everybody to know, <laughs> it was me.
1: He did. He was um, He was the most motivated informant I've ever had and didn't get anything. Didn't We didn't make him any promises. He just worked really hard because he wanted to do the right thing. He just got to a point in his life that he realized that's not the side i want to be on
2: and what happened to him afterwards
1: so we did protect him um well actually he he went back to jail we had to book him uh back into prison or to the jail and he he went in the day before christmas uh so that was tougher and then he spent a year so at his hearings obviously we knew how much cooperation he he had had done we went and we wrote everything up that was a lot of of coming together to let the courts know what an impact he had and the courts did see the impact and the judge even said i have never read anything like what i just read i've never seen anyone be so impactful in such a positive way so he was given time served and he was released from from jail how much then, time did it shave off of his ultimate sentence so i think he was looking at 17 years and he served one
2: and and how long was he out before he went back for a new crime
1: so i don't know so since then he has um he's moved we gave him we protected him made sure that he was good to go was he put into
0: witness protection
1: he was not. Um, he We tried for that, and that wasn't available at the time. Uh, but he was green-lighted by this gang. So we knew that, and we were able to solve and the And a green problem.
0: light is permanent, isn't it?
1: Yes. So if ever he is located and found by a member of Mexican Mafia or somebody who sympathizes with them, he he could be killed, and he would earn that person who commits that murder would get the respect of the gang, if that's what you're into.
2: You know, and it's— and th- th- you know, people might think I'm being cold by asking these questions, but we've had cases, we've all had cases where somebody goes out of the way to help law enforcement and you try to do them a solid, you give them the funds, you help them relocate to another place where they'll be safe. And invariably, they blow all they the money. They screw that it up. You, they blow all the money you give them. And it's like, I'm going back. I'm not afraid of those people. And the next thing you know, somebody knocks on their back door and blows them away with a shotgun. We had that done in Tennessee on one of our informants. And, it's just the way informants are. They, uh, it's like the elevator doesn't doesn't go all the way to that top floor when it comes to their own personal safety,
1: right? And change is hard, right? So mm-hmm. we're telling them you got to change your life, but they mm-hmm. only know one way to live, right? Yeah. And it's difficult. It's difficult transition. Plus, we all have that feeling of being invulnerable, like that we are going to live forever. And so, especially when you're tough.
0: We're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Ask every police rookie their first day on the job,
1: right? Right, right. And it's, it's hard to unteach that, right? I, I felt that way. You guys felt that way. Uh, sometimes I still feel that way. Though things hurt more now than they did back
0: then. Well, oh, when, I, wait, when I take off wait. my Tommy Bahama shirt, I still have an S
1: on my chest. I mean, yes. that has
0: not gone away.
2: Yeah, but I yes. can think of a lot of different names that would go with that
1: S. <laughs> <laughs> That's your stripper name right there.
0: <laughs> I don't know. We got to come up. With, hey, before we get done, we got to come up with Steve's. Oh, no. Okay. We kind of bring this one to a conclusion. That's good. I want oh, to talk to you about the TSA story, <laughs> but I want we got to talk about the stripper. I'm sorry. We got to get into this. In law enforcement, there's lots of great stories, but I've been waiting to get to this one, because when we talked about it, this was just, like, awesome. You have to tell us about the stripper case, because I've been trying to come up with Steve's stripper name now for a while. And this one, I know this happened later. I thought this happened right after you got out of the academy, but you were working dope, right? And, and you were having to pretend to be a stripper. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out how to lead, how to just lead into this, you know. He's so not how to it's not possible to embarrass
1: like, just you, no easy way. Yes, trying <laughs> to embarrass. I have a lot of hidden talents. We'll just put it that, like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one of my, and I think women in law enforcement, we, you know, we get used for what, what they need at the time. Like for instance, with Hells Angels, they needed to legitimize their place, and it, they needed some safety net, and and having a female pose as a girlfriend or a property piece gave them that safety net where they didn't have to do other bad things that Mm -hmm. they would have been expected to do. So, you know, every now and then a role comes along and you have to play the role that you're given. And so we were working a case in Anaheim. It was another Met deployment. And I had, um, a guy that was, was dealing dope right outside of Disneyland so it was a, a motel right in this, you know, the happiest place on earth was where we were. Disney? were feeling yep. dope at Disney? Oh. Yes, yes, I know. Shocker. So, um, but if you've been there, you understand why. <laughs> Never mind. Um, Anaheim,
0: I know. <laughs> it's an <laughs> armpit, yeah.
1: So, um,
0: so. No offense to those folks in Anaheim, sorry.
1: No, and, and I lived in Anaheim, it was a lovely place to be. Uh, but I lived up in nice, yeah. <laughs> From, exactly away from <laughs> the, the caveat. <laughs> so um so this particular guy was too close to the informant the informant was not able to buy dope from him directly because there was a, a relationship where it, if some, something was compromised it would not have been safe so they opted to bring me in as her friend the stripper who would be buying methamphetamine to party with my other friends at work the strippers so we we met him at a bikini bar and um we were the only women there is which was,
0: bikini bar slang for strip bar or is it actually a bikini bar
1: it's they're not allowed to be their liquor license won't let them be completely nude or semi-nude but they're close so the idea is you know
0: push the, the ink- envelope with a bikini
1: Yes, the interesting parts are covered. The rest is – there's nothing left to the imagination at the, right. these places. So that's where we, we met the guy, and we did our our deal in the parking lot of the, the bikini bar as a stripper me. Did
2: you have to wear a bikini that day? No, I
1: did, I did not. I did not. Okay. There are no photos. Okay. Not on that one, yes. In Vice a couple times, Whoa. yes, there might have been some – well, so we, how did you pull
0: off? So, what homework did you do to become a stripper? Because if somebody had asked you the wrong question, you didn't know the right slang or anything else, you would have been, uh, you know, exposed. <laughs> Not so, to use a play on words.
1: <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like you would have to do a lot of research, but you do. Like you have to pick the bar that you would work mm-hmm. at. You, you got to have know a something about it. Yeah. Yep. You have to have a story to be able to tell, and you have to have friends at that bar because you. We don't often talk. About our friends is just friends. We throw out names, so you have to have uh, kind of this. You make up your own story, and you don't have to tell it, but you have to know it. So mm-hmm. there is a little bit of research, and there's a little bit of planning, so that you are legitimate and you can explain how your relationship with the informant started. Who was not currently a stripper; she had been in the past, but how you know, you had met and why you trust each other. And uh, it, it brings legitimacy to the the drug buy that that is taking place.
0: So, Sherry, everybody wants to know, how did your slow slide into stripping occur? What was your backstory? <laughs> how did you end up?
1: What is the downfall? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and the let me tell you, too, there is a great uh, Wendy's meme. I, I think it's Wendy's out there. Yeah, they're selling their... Um, Chicken has job. Chi- chicken loses job. Chicken strips four ninety five. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. That's oh, I mean, it's one go. of the
0: one of the best things. So, how did your slow slow long slide into stripping occur? Based on your backstory.
1: <laughs> so currently, I have a job. I'm hoping that I don't ever um, become a chicken strip. So I'm um, I'm hoping to to maintain what I have now. <laughs>
0: But no, but back then, well, see, but what was your? This, back- well,
1: who knows? <laughs> that's <laughs> who knows? true. That's true.
0: <laughs> but 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 back then, what was your backstory for how you ended up be, uh, being a stripper when you were doing the deal?
1: So that I had started with drugs, with a drug habit, which um, is is a pretty realistic story. That that. I, i made those life choices which forced me to make other life cho- choices and not to say that there aren't strippers who are amazing incredible dancers and to choose that profession for all of the right reasons but my story in the the club that i chose made sense right so that i had i had been a methamphetamine user and it was a slow slide into you know the the job that i currently had and pretended i had
0: yeah but but you know, but somebody who uses meth, I mean, and there's these things out there too websites called the faces of meth and stuff. you can see people's arrest photos and it is just I'm telling you shocking to look at people that go from this bright, vibrant face like you have right now into people who have pock marks and they've lost a tooth, you know, and it's just how did you how did you Impersonate a meth user when, hopefully, at that time you passed your drug test with I, DEA. You I, weren't right,
1: and I have all my teeth. Yes,
0: yes. Um, <laughs> well, they could they could be fake. We don't know. Again,
1: right? Um, most of the time, and and users are a. Something that DEA hasn't really spent a lot of time in, and just very recently we have started to realize that we need to be part of that conversation, that we need to be part of the prevention, the outreach, Mm -hmm. uh, the education side, and we're trying to make a bigger effort to put ourselves out there and to be a resource for for people who, who are using or who we hope don't use. Meth is one, just like any drug, it's a slow slide. And so we see the phases of meth, and I, had, I have met dozens and dozens and dozens of beautiful, beautiful people on their driver's license. And when I meet them in person, it is not... Yeah. It is a shadow of their former self. And I, I, those faces of meth are real. And it's the same thing happens with heroin or with fentanyl or with any kind of drug. When you let something else take control of your life, you don't have control and your inner beauty doesn't come out. And so your outer beauty plummets. And I, it breaks my heart. Some of these. These people with potential who just make bad choices over and over and over again. And so posing as a, a meth dealer, there is a certain amount of, um, or meth trafficker, or meth, I'm sorry, user, there is a certain amount of lack of self, self-care. self Like sometimes when I was a prostitute, I would wear socks with no shoes and dirty clothes that I had cut the lawn in because that's, that's really what the face of prostitution looks like because it is... It, A kind of a collateral damage from narcotics use. So it's not as pretty. It's not as elegant. Very, very seldom did I wear, you know, the thigh high heels with the little halter top. Um, Occasionally, but that was a different, I'm trying to attract a different clientele Clientele. at that point. Or, and it based on what we were doing, what the operationally it called for. So in this case, I could be a quasi normal looking girl and be able to me- to buy meth convincingly. Now, the girl who was sent to deliver my meth, I will tell you, she was far advanced in her phases of meth. Um, sh- she no longer was caring who she was selling to.
0: And she actually is the one that got your ass kind of in a jam for a minute, didn't she?
1: Mm-hmm. I got in a little bit of trouble on that one. Wrote a lot of memos over that well, one. Well, but, but nah,
0: you know, I'm going to come to your defense here. Let's, let's tell the story and then I'm going to come to your defense. So what happened? She's supposed to deliver you some meth. What does she do?
1: So when she delivers it to me, she takes a pinch off my eight which is I I ordered an eight ball and I was paying for an eight ball, which is slang for the the amount of drugs. So it's a little over three grams worth It's an eighth of of an ounce, yeah. Yes. Um, So we have this... She delivers it to me. I pay for it. But then she pinches my eight because she's a user. And so she just wants to take a little back to to get high herself. Um, So, of course, when that happens, I, I... I don't hide anything in my my reports. I am very forthcoming. I say this is what happened. This is how the deal went down. Um at the time I had a supervisor who, well,
2: was a gosh, jackass, I, let's just say I, it. How do
1: I say it? you know, having a couple bad supervisors in your life is something everyone should have because you learn so you much grow, from bad yes.
0: bad managers, bad supervisors, bad yes. leaders. Yep.
1: And I think I tried to do when I was a leader, when I became a supervisor, I tried to do the things that they didn't do or tried not to do the things that they did, if that makes sense. And I think that probably made me a more thoughtful leader Mm -hmm. um, and certainly more cautious with how I responded to things. So in this case, this was not his best day. Um, And he tried to have me arrested and prosecuted for dealing methamphetamine in the city of Anaheim. Holy shit. Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> yeah. What a jerk. Your
0: own agency, your own supervisor tries to have you arrested for dealing dope.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they, see, that
0: would have gone over, as Larry the Cable guy said, so that would have gone over like a turd in a punch bowl. I mean, yes. how far did this guy, how far was this asshole allowed to run this scam up well, the, the, the flag? the attorney,
1: God bless him, said, no, 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 she's... Who is this again? What? Wait. Okay. Well, she's not, she's allowed to do that. And there's actually a statute and let us direct you to the part in the law that says that she's allowed to do that. And so now I had a a statute that actually backed up my actions as an undercover officer. and mostly because we're, we're all working in good faith, and, and doing a reverse is something that DEA also does, and that's just another way to do a, a drug deal. In this case, it was not approved op- operation. I did violate policy. It was not something that I should have done, but at the time, my options were limited.
0: You mean, wait a minute, you're, but the, you, you
1: had the operation approved to get the eight ball, right? Right, but not to allow any of it not to, to be left in my possession.
2: Yeah, but you never do, But although you know the informers are going to pinch on you. Well, how the hell do you write an op
0: plan that says, well, look, we're going to do this, and I know what she's going to do. She's going to pinch part of my eight ball, so I'm going to let that walk. I mean, how do you predict something like that happening?
1: You you can't. Uh, But it's also one of those things, you take it in stride. It's something that's it's part of the job, it happens. And when cooler heads prevail and when you have experienced supervisors who have had some experience and and know what it is to be a drug agent, you work through all those things. The biggest things that I tell my agents now all the time, you just always have to have your integrity. It's the one thing you have that nobody can take from you, but you certainly can give it away and you hold right. on to that.
0: So, what happened to this fucking rocket scientist that wanted to have one of his own people arrested? I mean, if I'm a sack, and I can't speak for you because I'm not, but if I'm a sack and I see somebody trying to pull something like that, that's when my dark side would come out. I'm afraid I would close the door and there would be less ass hanging on this guy when he came out than when he went in with.
1: Well, he's no longer with DEA, but um, so I'm... Was that by choice or by... Uh, I think he aged out, if I'm being really honest. it was. does that diff- mean? He, so at some point at DEA we have to retire at a certain age, uh, yep. so we are kicked out of the government. It's fifty-seven. We're we're no longer allowed to continue working. So um, I think he aged out and and did leave DEA. But you know everybody has value. His value wasn't necessarily in street supervision.
2: It's obvious. He he had never handled informants. He'd never planned street deals. He'd never dealed, dealt with all the the uh, intricacies and surprises that you get on every single deal. And you know what? Just be glad it wasn't a heroin deal because when they pinch heroin, they go to sleep for about five or ten minutes. Right. And you, you can't <laughs> chew their ass till they wake up.
1: <laughs> right, right. Uh, and that's true. Um, she, I learned a lot from that. Just like every other bad supervisor, you, you pick up those things and you— you let that define you in a positive way, right? It was a tough time in my career because it actually took me out of commission for quite some time because uh, if you, you have to be investigated by your own agency to, uh, for policy violations. And so I was exonerated. I was actually cleared of all wrongdoing, uh, inevitably. But I bet
0: it, that would have been like on one of those trials where the jury's out for like three minutes. It takes them longer to, to elect the four person of the jury than mm-hmm. it does to convict the sorry little bit. I mean, how right. long did this, how long were you sidelined while this was going on?
1: It was about two years. Oh. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> Justice moves slow, gentlemen. Justice moves slow.
2: No, so, OPR yes. moves slow.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh my God! Two years. So what well, just meant I could? You know how go many overseas. you know How many cartel
0: members? I know you call them what? Transnational criminal organizations. You know how many people from TCOs and cartels I could have thrown in jail in two years? Absolutely.
1: Well, I still got to work. It wasn't like that I I couldn't work.
0: I just couldn't. Oh, get... you
1: weren't on you weren't on leave or
0: anything. No, suspension I just couldn't get an
1: award. I couldn't get. Um, Promoted, I couldn't go overseas. I couldn't do my career stalled.
0: It was was, you were in purgatory. I mean, there was nothing. You you were stuck, right? Right. One of Dante's seven circles
1: of hell, purgatory. My purgatory was L.A. So there you go. Hey, well, speaking of
0: L.A., well, you look, karma has a way of coming around, just like it did with uh, you know the Barajas and you know her getting seventeen years. I'm sure. I'm sure he didn't get a lot of cards for his retirement party. But that being said, I thought one of the interesting stories you did too. Back in L.A., uh, and I think it was L.A., right? Uh, you got to help target. hate picking on another agency, but, but after 9-11, look, it's one of those things to where if you're going to put me through all of this crap, you better make sure you have your shit squared away because I want these planes safe. I want my cargo safe. You know, I want my pilots and, you know, flight attendants all to be screened and, you know, but you ended up doing a pretty fascinating operation because you started targeting some TSA agents, people who actually are supposed to be the first line of defense against terrorists and bad actors getting onto our transportation. So let's kind of walk through that because I think this thing all started when a gent by the name of Dwayne Elbry tried to sneak 10 pounds of coke through a security checkpoint and he
1: went to the wrong fucking checkpoint, Skippy, you know? <laughs> yes, <he did. laughs> we don't catch them all, but we do catch the dumber ones. But it's so, the dumb ones that make <laughs> yeah.
0: this whole thing fun,
1: right? So yes. So at the time, so I had, I had just transferred from, this is when Met had gone away. So it was d- defunded and I was uh, transferred to the airport and i had just had a baby so it was working really well for me because i was working nights and um and was really able to to perform interdiction kind of in the evenings and and also be a mom uh you know for a couple hours a day i didn't sleep much is what happened so um here i am at the airport and i'm working interdiction which is different than what i'm i'm used to it's it's short quick hits and not necessarily long-term investigations and i stumble upon uh this gang and that's really what it is. It's a violent criminal street gang that is now working at the Los Angeles international airport. And as I start to, and I just came from this game inve- gang investigation, so I'm really sensitive and well, my skills are, are I guess, primed for this investigation at this time in my life. And I partner with the airport police at LAX who are outstanding. These guys, they try so hard to keep their airport safe and they work so hard. And then I had LA Sheriff's Department and LAPD. So I had the best possible crew of people to kind of help me sift through, uh, what I thought I was dealing with. And I would encounter gang members and catch them in lies. And so here I'm, I'm uncovering this whole network of people right there at LAX. Some of them TSA, some of them, the, um, the concierge folks that, that, push the people with wheelchairs to their their gates. So it's this whole network and they are Denver Lane bloods that are incorporated and working at the airport. And you have to consider where, where the Los Angeles airport is and what their hiring pool is too. So we're going to get people and although those people are tested and background, they don't catch it all. And sometimes this is crazy, people lie on their backgrounds. So oh, and wait the, a minute, I'm yeah, shocked. Know. People aren't truthful on their I, paperwork. And I hate oh. to be the one to tell that to you because I feel like I'm t- telling you about Santa, but it's true. It happens what? from hey, time what? to time. <laughs> no.
0: Next you're going to tell me something about the Easter bunny. I don't want to know. I don't no, want to know.
1: I get chocolate every year. I don't know what happens there. So um, so here I start uncovering this whole gang that is entrenched in the people that we trust and the people that we are kind of relying on to keep us safe. So I come up with this plan and... Um, it it does actually get me because the case is so much bigger and because I'm kind of relentless. And also I'm, I don't want to say I'm bored, but I have time. So I have time in between interdictions to start really looking at and investigating these people. So I get like the gang unit from LAPD who are a wealth of knowledge. I get my, my sheriff's department guys and we all kind of converge together and I have a whole network of people. And then I start finding all of these cases at the same time. Dwayne Ellaby is supposed to go between Terminal four and Terminal five. He's supposed to take the tunnel and he. Gets the directions wrong, and so he goes through the wrong security checkpoint, and he gets caught with ten kilos of coke, and then that happens again, <laughs> and so I fi- I figure out who the kind of the ringleader of TSA is, and what's happening is these this gang is able to use, they're able to bribe members of this of TSA, and get contraband through the. Uh, uh, magnetometers and so we're able to put together a huge sting operation i do flip one of the guys that are that are involved uh one of the first guys that i had as my target i flip him and he sees the writing on the wall that this is this is all coming to a a crashing end and he helps me Uh, i have to control him quite a bit (laughs) But he's already part of them, so I'm able to use him in the in the best possible way to pay bribes and to push uh, tons of contraband. We got them to agree to to let us take a gun on board a plane, and that's when we had to take oh
0: get take get get out of yeah. here.
1: So, and the best part was one of the TSA guys was actually testing to be a sheriff um, deputy at the time. So these are these people were, in my opinion, the worst possible violator because it was greed-driven. This had nothing to do with anything except money. A little bit of the gang, a little bit of that respect piece, and that's why they had the network.
0: Yeah, but, but Cash, was, you know, that's when you talk to Soviets, the old Soviets, uh, you know, that used to, Americans wouldn't do it for ideology or anything. Americans were just greedy. So when you got Alder James and these big spies, they all did it for money. Robert Hansen did it for money, you know. Yep. Uh, I just You're telling me that had it not been for this operation, I mean, it would have been, I could have bribed somebody and been able to get a weapon on board an aircraft.
1: And wait till I tell you this, the cost of the bribe, less than a trip to Target, $200. dollars. Yep. $200. You want me from- to
0: put a gun on a plane, man? That's like 10 grand. I mean, this yep. is big
1: time. 200 bucks. So, and, and it was so um, arrogant. Like my guy would get in line and the TSA person would open a new line for my guy. And, and it would be right there on the screen. I have video of, we have 10 kilos of heroin going through. That's all we have in a bag. We put 10 kilos of heroin in a, uh, a carry-on. And you can see it very clearly on the security monitor going by. And he just gets pushed through. And then, then my TSA, my bad guys, would meet my guy in the bathroom and the payment. Here, wash your hands. Here's 200 bucks. Done. Unbelievable. Over and over and over again,
2: and that didn't raise concern or, or suspicion with any of the other TSA supervisors. Of course,
1: we met with TSA. You know, obviously, the the men and women who work for TSA have great hearts. They are doing this. It, it, many of them for the right reasons, just like any kind of law enforcement. Ninety nine point nine percent of us are have pure hearts. We come to the job every day with a mission to do the very best that we can. In this case, this was an infiltration. This was infiltration of a gang. And so there was a little bit of pressure. And then it was this, some of the the girls that weren't in the gang, but these are all their friends. And now there's a gain, there's a personal gain and $200 when you're TSA. I don't know how much they pay their their operators, but if two hundred dollars is tempting, and that's enough for you to discard your oath, to discard your integrity, mm-hmm. that was a price that, and we found the price, and and they were willing to take it.
0: Wow.
2: That's that's pretty so, cheap. That's pretty
1: cheap.
0: Well, one of the th- one of the claims to fame you may have made play of the week at ESPN, but there's also a pretty uh, famous image of you when these arrests are being made. <clears throat> you can go to Google and see it, and which I did. I did I actually took yours. You know, I talked about DEA agent. I think um, I can't remember the search terms I did, but there you you you've kind of gone down a little bit because obviously they've got you know new pictures, but you're on the front page of the pictures with the, I see that blonde ponytail. Got yep. the DEA rage. got that raid jacket on. Is that the same but one from Wisconsin? No, this one was, that no? was okay. my very own.
1: <laughs> I'm very proud to say I did earn one.
0: Yes. You got one, right. And you're, so how, how many people were arrested out of this? How big was this operation?
1: So I think we had put up 30 to be arrested. And I want to say the U.S. Attorney's Office only took our top six or eight. Um, so the, it, it should have been a little bit bigger, but at the same time, I had, after I finished that case, I got promoted to Miami. So I was no longer there. And sometimes that really affects kind of the end game. Um, but they did a good job. Everyone got a good, I don't know what they got.
0: Well, I have some of that here. So it's oh. like, I mean, this, of course, we do our research. You know, we look into these stories. We also researched you. Um, that's how we knew your stripper name was Madison Fisher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Um, but in one case, here's some of the same stuff. So, uh, they were, in one case, nearly eight pounds of meth. Eight pounds of meth went through an X-ray machine, and they were paid $600. In another instance, McKinney, which is one of the people arrested, let more than 44 pounds of cocaine pass through her security checkpoint. Um, Richardson, another one, of naral Richardson, 32, of Los Angeles, who was the facilitator of the scheme, let 45 kilos of coke, four kilos of meth, and 22 kilos of marijuana were allowed to pass through her security screening. If she's doing that, you think about what other things could have gone onto a plane, explosives, you know, guns, all the things we, I mean, oh my God, I'm sitting here going like this. I'm going, how the hell?
1: And this is what we controlled, right? So I knew every, I was never going to let anything dangerous get on that plane. But if you think about that, and you think about how many airports in the world, and how vulnerable we are, uh, it's it's a huge threat. And you know, I I have kids, I have a family. I was yep. a, a police officer when nine eleven happened. To me, I take that very seriously. It's something uh, that we need to be diligent. We need, and everybody needs to be on the same page. And that's just dope. But if we think about right now, fentanyl, if it got Airborne, if I, oh my if God. I could get it, you on a need, plane.
0: Imagine one kilo of fentanyl versus 100 kilos of coke. I mean, right? I'd would rather kill, stop I 100. Wanna...
2: Yeah. You know, the. and there's one other outrageous part of this. You said how many people were you looking to indict?
1: Originally? I think there were 30-something was my... And seven. And, I and just the U.S. attorney's office up. took what? Seven. Seven.
2: Yeah, and so I'm looking at the article that they were just talking about that has your picture wearing the jacket, and the U.S. attorney is making this statement, you know, the allegation of this case described a significant breakdown of the screening system through the conduct of individuals who place greed above the nation's security needs. Well, those those 23 other people don't stand up and and toot your own damn horn when you're letting 23 criminals go that just like we're talking about could potentially let weapons on planes liquid explosives fentanyl whatever the case may be it just kills me that you know let's they knew what they were doing you know you got them dead to rights you're not making a case that's not going to be prosecutable it's just it just pisses me off
1: of course because we're type a people But um, the U.S. Attorney says that,
2: but I don't think I am. Yes,
1: no, really. Do I tell you? Your wife is right. (laughs) (laughs) Anything she says, I'm just going to let you know she's right. Because she's in charge, Steve. Remember, just like
0: Sherry, she's in charge. Yes, Yes, dear.
1: Yes. (laughs) You've been trained. I see. That's very good. Very good. Yes, dear. Um, (laughs) Nod your head. Yes. Um, But if you think about it, the U.S. Attorneys work very hard, and there's not very much of there's not very many of them, and. It's kind of like when the public is telling the police how to do their job, we get very offended because if you put together a civilian review panel, you're civilians. You don't know what it's like. To, to walk up on your first day to five dead bodies. You have no idea what that feels like and you can't pretend, but now you're going to sit in judgment. So I'm very cautious. Our U.S. attorneys are great partners and I try very hard not to do their jobs for them because they have to make decisions and they have to live with themselves. And we know that. We know that they are only going to use the federal statutes for the the top layer, right? They, they don't want to waste federal resources on lower levels of criminals and so we we do take some of those people and put them in the state courts do people get away do they escape justice yes um but karma is what it is and i really believe that if we keep doing the right thing eventually everybody gets their due
2: that
0: was a very diplomatic way of telling you to piss off murphy (laughs) you just took the words right
2: out you're the most (laughs)
1: diplomatic person the most
2: optimistic person i think i've ever met (laughs) Of the seven, of the seven that were charged, how many pled out? Did not go to trial. I I think all of them did. Which all thirty, all thirty probably would have if they put their butts in jail. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, see, Steve and I are in that luxurious position of being civilians. So, yes, you know, we are. We, we know you're still on the job, so we're, we're going to be, we're just going to be yeah. respectful of your, uh, <laughs> of your very diplomatic response. You know, to Steve's, you know, obviously very aggressive inquiry. He needs, a, I think, Steve needs a hug. <laughs> <laughs> you could use a hug, Steve.
1: I also don't want to become chicken strips, so I uh, will. I understood. I understood. Yes, I I understood. Am. I am proud of our our relationships. And do we need to work on some of our things? Of course.
0: Well, hell name me one, name me one profession or one area that can't be improved. You know, can't stand some improvement, you know, exactly. Exactly. Well, Hey, um, we're kind of we're walking through, but one of the interesting things I did—you've you, done something very interesting too—because you talked about going to Miami. So that that is a good segue into this next case, because you actually have done some pretty interesting work in uh, the dark web, and in terms of uh, some fentanyl, I think, right? Some things coming out of China, and actually one of the biggest things—the scourge right now with all the ransomware going on—Bitcoin is the uh, currency of the realm. That's how that's how transactions are made on the dark web. And here's something I bet you didn't know: Do you know who invented the dark web? No. The Naval Research Laboratory. And do you know why they invented it? It's so that human rights activists in other countries and actually military people and other folks would have a secure way to communicate. The original name is called Tor, the Onion Router Network, but it was called the Dark Web. It was actually invented for good purposes, you know, and then it's obviously been used to do things like Silk Road, you know, you've got all of this dope going on. So let's, you're in Miami. How the hell does somebody who, look, it, and I'm saying this too because, We had to get Bill in here, your PIO, to set up the the computer and everything else. I mean, you even talked about your fact, you're technically challenged. Now, how the hell does somebody like you end up doing a dark web investigation involving fentanyl and Bitcoin?
1: Well, it's funny when you're um, a supervisor, how you get to take credit for all the good work your people are doing. So Uh so, um, when I went to Miami, I I became a group supervisor. And I thankfully had the greatest group of agents and tfos they were amazing what are tfos Task force officers. Look at you. Yep. Task force officers. So those are- local- You can't
0: get nothing by me, man. I just yeah. I'm like it's like a steel
2: trap. A little bit my- of rust, but it's still a steel trap. <laughs> I'm
1: going to throw up right here on my microphone. Just- <laughs> so okay, task force ahead. officers are my local police officers that partner with us, and we actually bring them over and treat them like DEA agents. We we give them a badge. We give them creds. We give them the same levels of protection through federal Wait a law. minute. Do
0: they get a raid jacket?
1: Oh, yeah. They do get a raid jacket.
0: They oh, earn one. Yeah. I'm in. I'm yeah. in. Call me. All right, yeah. let's do it.
1: Uh, and then we also have task force agents that come from other federal agencies. We'll get the FBI, Marshals, Secret Service that will join one but of But I bet our they won't forces. wear DEA
0: raid jackets, will they?
1: Shockingly, when we're on raids, every now and then they do. Because I think they like us so much. Like,
0: uh, I kind of. No, they want to do. They want to pull something and blame DEA for oh, it. Or that. This or guy that. just kicked yeah. my dog. Look at that DEA agent.
1: Yeah, or that. <laughs> Well, it's not.
2: It's not like we've ever done something on a raid and said, "If you got a complaint, call the FBI office."
0: No. I may have known at one time been carrying business cards that did not belong to me, and when somebody said, "I got a complaint," great, here, yeah, here's my here name. You, you just give me a call. There you go. It's perfect.
1: It's perfect. Oh, sorry. Um, so on this task force, I end up getting two very young agents who are, well, they're they're just young. So technology is part of who they are, and technology is part of what they're always looking for. So we end up um, kind of getting involved in this. There's an informant we learn about, we grab this guy and this informant, I actually bring him in and I have him do training on Bitcoin, the tour browser, and I have him do training to the US Attorney's Office and to my entire group because I don't know anything about this. And this is like 2011, 2012, 2013. It's just the
0: beginning of really the dark web and stuff like that. The huge investigation called Silk Road was going on around that time.
1: Right. And Silk Road, I think, was all I knew about. So that was something that was kind of interesting. But um, is that something that we could do? Does it pertain to us? Is it within our mission? Is that something we want to waste resources on? So I, I listened to this training and briefing, and I kind of tell these young agents, you know, Let's get you some resources and see what you can figure out. And we start looking at some of these online marketplaces. We get on the the dark web and we start looking at some of these online marketplaces. And the thing about people who are in business or making money is once they've developed a brand name for themselves, they want to maintain that brand, right? So if you're McDonald's, at, you're going to sell the same hamburger at every McDonald's, and it doesn't matter if you're kicked out of uh, Chicago and you go to Milwaukee, it's still McDonald's. And and you know, if you go in it's there- two
0: all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed
1: bun. Booyah. Wow. That's a blast from the past, but yes, you're right. Um So you know the quality, right? And it's the same thing with drug trafficking, although it shouldn't be, but it is. And so the people who were kicked off of Silk Road now found themselves on different marketplaces, but they didn't change their name. They didn't change their branding and their marketing. So we we were able to use a lot of the FBI's old data to really help us identify current traffickers and kind of narrow our our parameters so that we could search and kind of uh, identify and go after somebody because there's the idea with the internet is while you're talking to Mr. White and sending messages and buying dope from Mr. White and it comes in the mail so it's but how do you know it's Mr. White at that keyboard pushing the keys, or going to the post office and mailing out the package with dope. So there's a lot more investigative steps to prove knowledge and intent when it comes to the the package that you're getting. So we were able to do that time after time again, and we kind of of helped DEA develop a policy, and there were a few other groups that were trying to do the same thing at the same time because we saw really an opportunity to kind of um, take advantage of this young Well, the young minds that we have who are brilliant young agents who are aggressive in a different way than than I was um, and really use their skills to disrupt, dismantle and destroy those online trafficking markets. Same time we used to do these things called um, domestic bo- monitoring buys with heroin. And so it was, we would go out into the neighborhoods and, and try to source heroin because it was a problem nationwide. And we, we wanted to be on the cusp of, of where, where d- our domestic heroin was being sourced from. So it was a, a, a program. We did it all over. We, Steve, you probably did it. Um, we did. As towards the end of 11, 12, this is right when the opioid epidemic or the pill mill issue in Miami is kind of coming it, it's on the downside. We've we've addressed the problem and we're we're now trying to to recreate ourselves and figure out next steps and what we've done wrong. And we go out and buy some heroin in a neighborhood and we buy five pills and they have heroin in them. So we're buying pills. They look like Oxy, but when I get the lab analysis back, it's heroin. And so I I realize like This is a good idea. This is something. All of these people in South Florida and uh, throughout the southeastern half of the United States are addicted to Oxy because they've been going to doctors. Now, transnational criminal organizations have realized.
0: Formerly known as cartels.
1: Of course. Yeah, they've realized, hey, if I put the same heroin in these pills, I can get moms and dads and people who think pills are safe because they've been taking them from the pharmacy, real
2: pills.
1: I can now get them to buy my pills. It's brilliant. It's brilliant marketing. It was a brilliant idea, but I only had five pills. So I'm trying to like, this is going to be a thing, but five pills doesn't matter in the whole world of DEA. So I I couldn't get the attention for what I thought was going to be the next thing. At the same time, now with some of this online stuff, we're looking at now labs overseas. What can we do with China? What and on the regular web or on the dark web? So what can we what can we buy from them? And methylone, ethylone, This is when Flocka is kind of taking a hold of some of our our lower income areas and really ravaging the streets uh, in Miami and.
0: Would you tell people what that is?
1: So flaca was, it's a synthetic drug. So it was a made drug that was coming really sourced from China, and it was kind of a hodgepodge of things. There were several several different chemical uh, analogs that were being put in and marketed and sold as flaca It was very cheap to buy, $4 a pill, whatever, and each pill would have a vastly different effect. So in some places it was called basalts, in some places it was called flaca it, it it had a different a different name depending where you were. What we found most of the time was a synthetic blend of methylene, ethylene, or some kind of derivative, some kind of analog from these chemicals, really. And it was addictive in a different way, and it caused some really erratic behavior. Um, you know, the, the famous story of the face eater in Miami, of uh, the guy who, you know, Got attacked and um, but and they they said there was only marijuana in his in his uh, in his system, but you know it turns out there was probably a synthetic blend which caused him to have this erratic behavior. So this is what we're we're kind of dealing with at the time. So all of these synthetic blends now are coming from China, and China has is now. In conversations, because we're working with our China office, we're working with the government of China to kind of address a lot of these problems. Yeah,
0: okay, so there's, I got a problem right there, too, because, you know, there is a book called Unrestricted Warfare, written by two Chinese PLA officers. And in that part of that is one of the things they actually talk about is the use of drugs and things like this. See, on the one hand, I believe China is going, oh, yeah, we'll work with you. On the other hand, I'm going, hey, good. This is something we can stick it to the Americans with. I mean, I know these guys like I know the back of my hands. Um, I won't say how and just put it this way. I can't travel to China. They won't right. let me out. I yeah. can get in. I just can't get out. but you know but but I look at that stuff and I go how do, how does DEA have an office in is it Shanghai or Beijing and actually get any real cooperation from the Chinese
1: government? So everything is um, you know small steps. So do we get cooperation? yes. Is it what we would like? No. Is it keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer? Of course it is. But we know that, and we're still going to do our best to try and liaise, because it's the best thing for the United States. In fact, it's the best thing for the world. And so if we can get them even a little bit of cooperation is better than none. And they do do some things like, uh, for instance, when methylone is made illegal and I now have a case that develops and we write a, a, a wire. We have a, a Title Three up and we're looking at correspondence with China and we're looking at people all over the world who are buying from a, a Chinese chemical organization and getting delivery. So I'm able to send leads to the DEA offices around the world. Cause I know what the packages look like. I know the tracking number. I have photos. I have all their evidence. I'm sending every country attache, here is a complete case. If you want to give that to the, your local car- counterparts and they want to arrest him, that's great. Here's everything you need. And in some countries, they could use it. In some countries, they couldn't. The domestic operations, we were able to exploit Fully, because we were able to send those throughout throughout the United States and people all over were able to start cases and, and do their own spinoffs. So the the methylone progression ends up starting with methylone and then methylone was made illegal January 1st, 2014 in China. So China didn't care about much of methylone that was coming prior, but as soon as it was made illegal, they cared because they would prosecute those people for violating Chinese law. Same thing with ethylene. So they were, they started to, they started, we were asking a lot of really good questions and they started to concede, all right, well, let's do this. Are they pacifying us? Maybe. Um, but we do give them their our evidence. Here's what we have. Here's what we know was purchased. And what they do with that, you know, we can only do our oh, job. It's
0: an optics, it's an optics question too. They do just enough to keep, to make everybody believe they're doing something about the problem. But again, it's not high on their list when they've got all this other stuff. And I can, I know you can't, but I can speak freely because it's just, I see this kind of stuff. And I know we've got friends like Derek, you know, Steve who's really uh, very vocal about this kind of stuff. I mean, the the biggest source country right now for fentanyl and things like that is what in the
1: world today? Well, Mexico but their precursors are all coming from China. And we were able to buy, this is before fentanyl is a thing, now with this dark web case and now with these wires that are corresponding, we were able to buy fentanyl before we knew it was what it was. I mean, we knew what it was, but we didn't know it was going to be a thing.
0: Yeah, you didn't know it was going to explode like it has recently, yeah.
1: Right. And then shortly, right, right at the, the cusp, when all that case is still uh, being worked and, and coming to fruition, fentanyl hits Miami. And when fentanyl hits Miami, it is carnage because we are having so many overdoses that Miami PD can't keep up. And at the time I have Miami guys assigned as task force officers with me and we are doing everything we can to force multiply and, and attack that problem. But the, the draw of fentanyl was so much that people were driving to the police station and shooting up in the parking lot of the police station because they knew if they overdosed, we would come out and save them.
0: Somebody run out with Narcan and save right. their ass.
1: So it, it just that fast, it went from being heroin in a pill to something far greater and something far more deadly and something that ravages this country to today.
0: Let's talk about the lethality real quick. I'm sorry, Steve, let me ask this and we'll follow up with you. Give people a perspective. How much fentanyl—I I mean, if I if I had a gram, let, let's say 28 grams, an eighth of an ounce, like you were buying, you know, you got—you you should have been indicted for trafficking, you know, methamphetamine, yes. but yes. You, fortunately, you weren't allowed. But if I took that same eighth uh, of an ounce, two, 28 grams, by the way, 454 grams in a pound, if I remember right, um, and twenty. if I took that same 28 grams and I made it into fentanyl, how many people could I kill with that?
1: Oh, you could take out a, a community. It takes— It takes 0.2 milligrams, two milligrams to to be a lethal dose. So, what we're looking at is a couple granules of salt that will kill you. Right now, all of our evidence says that 26% of the pills that contain fentanyl have a lethal dose. So, one in four pills are deadly. The story I told about San Bernardino, one of the greatest assets to that case was the sergeant that worked, uh, who was a San Bernardino sergeant. He was an exceptional narcotics officer. He was passionate. He was focused. He was a great leader. His daughter just died from fentanyl and his daughter's boyfriend. So now he is the grandfather of a three-year-old that he has to raise. One pill, one time, one party. That's it. There's no second chance. It's just, it is it is destroying our communities. And the worst part about fentanyl is that it's a powder. And so it can be put in anything. And so if I want to market to my college kids, I'm not going to make fentanyl pills because they're not really looking at that. They're taking Adderall. They're taking Adderall because they want to stay up all night and study.
0: And pass the tests and everything else. Right. Yeah.
1: But if I press my fentanyl, into an Adderall-shaped pill. They'll take it. It's they, all about marketing. They will take it. And they're addicted. So they take one pill one time. The, the powerful piece of opiates is the, the psychological and the physical addiction. That's the part that is, it, it destroys us, right? So I don't know that I'm addicted to fentanyl. I think I want your pill really bad because I'm getting sick if I don't have it. And so I, I might think it's Adderall. I might think it's cocaine. I might think it's methamphetamine. Fentanyl can be put in everything. Marijuana. People are are taking this not knowing that that's what they're ingesting. And it is, from a marketing standpoint, from the transnational criminal organizations, if they are able to sprinkle this powder on every single thing that they're selling, You've they're got creating, repeat
0: customers baked in.
1: Yep. It's a nation of addicts. Which also you're not supposed to say. You're supposed to say substance abuse and misuse, not addiction. Okay.
0: Well, you say that. We'll Jeez. say addicts. Okay. Um, but I remember too, just when people were just dipping stuff like, you know, you'd had PCP laced marijuana, you know, right. and, and other stuff. And, and if you've ever dealt with any, and I know you guys have, you dealt with somebody on PCP, you know, this is superhuman strength. The folks have no idea. Now we've got fentanyl. And now it's like,
2: uh, I it just, um, you know, just to explain this a little bit further. When when the, we're talking about counterfeit medications here for our listeners, and so there's you think, well, okay, if they're mixing the fentanyl in with the binders and the placebo additives that go within a pill, you know, they mix it up. There's no quality control. So right. what they're doing is they're putting all this crap into a cement mixer.
0: Yeah, and right. they the not coming along in. and approving your pill. Yeah, right.
2: right. And so they'll give it a few turns. Well, that doesn't adequately distribute the fentanyl throughout all the binders that are in there that the pills are made of so when the pills are pressed out you may get a pill that has no fentanyl in it or you may unfortunately unfortunate shot enough in one to, of them yeah yeah you get right. one that's got 10 grains and, and when you're talking granules you know for our listeners we're talking grains of salt here I mean look at the size of a grain of salt and three grains can, or two grains three grains four grains can cause you to overdose three grains of fentanyl. That's how dangerous this is. So then when you got, you know, no quality control and the pills that are being made and being sold as as counterfeit meds, uh, one of our future shows, and this will be down the road a little bit, but, uh, you know, Javier and I work with an organization. We go on Capitol. We've been on Capitol Hill twice. We've gone to the American Legislative Legislative Exchange Conference, which represents the legislatures from all 50 states to try to bring awareness to counterfeit medications. That's how serious this is. And here's the surprising part, especially when we went to the ALEC conference a few years ago. I can't tell you how many state legislators came up to us afterwards to tell us, I've never heard of this. When did counterfeit medications become a problem? So what we do now is working with an organization. We bring in the family members of those who have died from overdoses of fentanyl because of counterfeit meds. And let me tell you, if you don't shed a tear when you listen to these people tell their story about how their sons, their daughters, their sisters, their brothers, the you know, how their children, I hadn't heard this about the police officer down there. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, you are one cold hearted son of a bitch. And and I'm getting a little passionate about this just because we need to get the word out there. You know, we love to have fun on our podcast. We're bringing you people that actually live, have walked the walk, and now they're talking the talk. We're not regurgitating what we heard somebody else did, which is what makes us different in our podcast, Game of Crimes, here. But we also come upon these points here that require some seriousness into what we're talking about. And and Sherry, thank you so much for what you've done. I mean... you didn't do this to be a visionary in Miami, but the fact that you recognized the five pills that contain heroin and saw what the potential was, and then lo and behold, here comes fentanyl. You know, God bless you for what you've done for our country. It's, it's phenomenal that you had the foresight to, to address that and be prepared when it came.
1: I just, you know, you have to do a lot of self-reflection, and what what else could we have done? What could have, mm-hmm. we have done better? Um what resources could have stopped this and I and I don't believe that there are any I think this was gonna happen I just it, it is heartbreaking and I I talked to is. parents when I was up in Seattle I um I met with a lot of community groups and I le- met with a lot of parents who lost children and I I, I don't ever I have kids i, I it's very it's very close to me. I, I I really believe in what we're trying to do because it's saving lives. We're we're just trying to give people the tools to say no and, and to try and take away certainly the threats. Um, but last year alone in Arizona, my agents seized six million pills. And so, if you think about that, the population of of Arizona or of Phoenix, which is the largest growing city in the the country, is six million, and. If those pills were destined for, for Phoenix, where they were seized, in the southwest border here, um, that would wipe out the whole city. A- and if you think about that in context and you think about how much, back, it, back when it was heroin and cocaine, we could fly over a, a, an acre and know how much the yield from that crop would be. All right, here's a, an opium poppy grow, and we expect this much heroin. So we had an idea of how much illegal substances there were in the world. So we were able to say how impactful we were based on what we were seizing compared to the total number, right? Now with synthetics and using precursors to create unquantifiable amounts of fentanyl, methamphetamine, parafluoral fentanyl, which is the new one, any kind of analog that you can dream of, they they can keep making it. Through of all COVID, when things were changing at the border and there were different restrictions, and it was arguably more difficult for cartels at some point, for transnational criminal organizations at some point, um, the price of fentanyl here in Arizona did not go up. So we seized six million pills, and we didn't affect them enough to have oh them my raise the God. price. Oh, my gosh. And my guys are tired. My guys are tired. They are working so hard that it is a constant, constant full-court press. And I don't know how much of an impact we're making. I don't know what that looks like.
2: According to the latest statistics, and and I don't have the exact number. You you may already know this, Sherry. What is the average number of overdoses on a daily basis in the United States right now? Oh, my gosh, I
1: don't. I think we lost, and so all of those statistics are going to be skewed, right? Because Narcan used to be a thing that nobody had, right. and now parents
0: everybody's are, got it. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're keeping it in your in your medicine cabinet at home because you, you want to be prepared in case something happens. So everybody has it. So it's not the overdoses that are fatal cuz that number we know right there were 90,000 last year which was tragic and horrible but how many didn't how many die?
0: close calls did we have that survived had it not right. been for the narcan or something I, like that
1: I asked the Mesa Police Department chief I met with him yesterday and I said you know that those are the numbers that were that make that statistic more impactful it means more and just for mesa which is a smaller suburb of phoenix they've had 146 saves this year and that's just what fire has had their ems services and their police department has has dulled out how many parents save their own kids how many kids save their own parents like those are stats that we nobody will report to us we we can't know that
2: there's, and the reason I ask this, and, and just taking your numbers there, 90,000 overdose deaths, you divide that by 365 days, that's 246 deaths per day. So, Bob Stuttman, who was one of the leaders of DEA years ago, who I have the immense respect for, I stole this story from him. I was in New York at a conference, not a conference, but a fundraiser, and, and he was speaking. And everybody wants to bring awareness to this because the public's not aware. But here's an, here's his analogy. You know, we're having, I think back this time, it was about 197 overdose deaths per day in the United States. Well, we're not seeing a big reaction. I mean, I'm talking to members of Congress and members of state legislators who don't even know that this is an issue. So that's scary to start with. Well, what if a United States airliner went down every day, killing 197 people. What would be the uproar from the public here in the United States? I mean, you know, you saw what happened with the, uh, was it the 737 they had a problem with? They grounded all those planes worldwide because one crashed. You right. know, so you put it into, a, into an analogy like that where we all fly. The whole world flies. Now, right now, after COVID, you can't get a freaking seat on an airline because it's, it's, I flew to, to El Paso two weeks ago, and every seat on the four flights I took was taken. There wasn't a single open seat, and I haven't seen that in years and years. Right. But you put that into perspective, and it makes you realize how vulnerable we all are. You know, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to take Tylenol, and I only take meds that I get from a reputable drugstore, not an online pharmacy. Uh, you know, whatever drugstore, CVS, Walgreens, whatever you choose, you could use a reputable drugstore and be conservative in the medications you take. You can't trust anybody. I could, I could take a pill from from Morgan because we're good friends, and I trust him. I, you know, I, we bust each other's chops. <laughs> That's your first mistake.
0: Wait till I get the pictures. Wait <laughs> till bu- I get the pictures.
2: <laughs> we pick on each other every day of our lives. But, I, you know, I trust the guy, and he may have gotten the pill from somebody else yeah. thinking it was legit, and I overdose. Because I trust, right. you know, because it's just out there. It's everywhere. And if you think, and I've said this before on some of our shows, and I'm going to continue to say it. If you think this opioid counterfeit medication epidemics, the the addiction epidemics are not touching you and your family, you need to open your eyes. Because I guarantee you, if you take a close look somewhere in your family, you're going to see there's a problem. I mean, I've got an effect, I've got a, an immediate family member who's addicted to opioids. Has been in prison several times because of it, and we fully expect them to to overdose at some point, and it, and it will break our hearts. But. Uh, it just touches us all. It touches every fabric. You know, and this is what people are using against our country now. I, and uh, not getting political whatsoever here, but I'll get off my soapbox.
0: Well, no, and I think one of the distinctions here in this podcast, here, we're not taking sides. This is not an R or D issue. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's not right. political. I mean, a dead body is a dead body. And if that dead body happens because of things like fentanyl, fentanyl. what was the other version you just mentioned of fentanyl?
1: Brand new, parafloral fentanyl
0: paraflora fentanyl. What the hell is that?
1: <laughs> so it's our newest analog, and we found it quite by accident here in, in Arizona. It's always existed in the world. It was never approved for human consumption. So it's the, the medical examiners don't know to look for it, and it's one of those things you wouldn't find unless you looked for it. And the test to look for it is kind of costly. So they found it... Quite by accident on the first one, they were looking for other things and found this. Um, and then we had a string of 12 fatalities that we asked and they looked for the, this new analog. So it is more deadly, more potent, um, and certainly they need less uh, of it to make you feel the same effects of fentanyl, only more intense or die.
0: Which means from a, just a pure capitalism standpoint, if I can, if I can, if it takes less of something and I can sell it for the same price and it costs me less to make it, I'm making a hell, I mean, there has got to be billions of dollars involved in this right now.
1: Right. And Steve, to your story, um, I have a friend, she was the former police chief of Prescott and she told the story, so I, I'm very comfortable telling it, but her son, who was a young man who, um had just moved away from home and was having a hard time sleeping. He was starting a new job and excited and all these things. And one of his friends gave him a Xanax mm-hmm. and said, here, take this. We'll help you sleep. And he died. Right. And that was one pill. One time he uh, clearly, the pill was not Xanax and the kid who gave it to him wasn't trying to kill him. Right. But he certainly did. Um. And, and that, that actually, that distributor was prosecuted and is currently in in prison. So that's good. A, a good story, although a tragic story at the same time.
2: And we have documented cases where they don't take the whole pill; they'll take a quarter of a Xanax and overdose from it. Right. it it's just so heartbreaking. It really, it just tears your it tears your insides out. So let's
0: kind of close out then on this case there. I mean, what was the ultimate? Is this still ongoing? I mean, did, did you get, did you, were you able to make some arrests out of this dark web case? You know, were there any stateside people? You know, how did that come out?
1: Yeah, we did actually make a couple of arrests as we were going because we were trying to figure out, because the Bitcoin is a new dimension, a new challenge. And it's so, a
0: tough we, challenge, let me tell you.
1: Right. And so we were making some little arrests along the way to and because we, we had somebody identified and we had good, Surveillance. So, for instance, from Miami, I had called a friend in Tucson, uh, who was a, a supervisor here and said, I, we have one of our guys identified. He's in Tucson. Can you help us? And so, of course, he. He agreed, and so we were able to do surveillance and pull all the boxes. And we did. He happened to be on probation, so I got probation involved, and we did a, a nice little takedown of this guy. And that was our first kind of test case where we were able to put the vendor with an identification and put all the pieces together. Right. And so we did that a series of times. Like every time we had a, a, a nice little package deal, we would go make these these one off arrests. The bigger case, the larger case is still ongoing, and I suspect it will be for, for quite some time.
0: You may actually bring up a point, though, too, because anytime there's something new, I remember when I first, I mean, I, I did some of the traditional stuff cops and detectives would do. I did behavior analysis, interview and interrogation. I used to instruct in that. But then I started getting into computer crime. And one of the challenges was not only did we have to learn it, we actually had to train The prosecutors on it. we had to train the courts on it, you know, because they had to, and so that's why you didn't want to go right off the bat swinging for the fences. You got to do some of these smaller cases to get them to understand and to set case law too. You have to set some precedent too, to where people have to, in a court have to say, oh yeah, we recognize this is a valid way of doing it. You got to do X, you got to do Y. And so, but that's got to be a challenge too, because every time there's a new analog, every time there's a new um, communication mechanism, every time there's a new technology, part of this is you have to spend time educating The entire justice system so that by the time you bring a case, everybody understands the terms, you know, the technologies, you know, and that the things that you did, the steps you took actually are legitimate and effective and you've got your whole chain of custody, you know, etc. Right?
1: Right. And then getting the laws up to date. Because if you change a molecule, when we're talking about synthetics. One,
0: it, it doesn't apply.
1: Right. So now there's, we have some catch-alls and DEA works very, very hard to work with Congress so that we stay on top of it. Because God forbid there is a, a loophole and we, there's a period of time where something is not illegal. Um, we have we have no authority at that point. There's Which no... we
0: saw in the past. We saw times where you had these designer drugs or stuff that wouldn't meet the specific definition of a state statute, and they were legal for a while, killing people. And then the problem was they always try to write a law to address just that specific molecular right. composition, as opposed and they change to change one more. Yeah, yeah, change one more. Yeah. Well, you know, but that's you know. By the way, here's a here's a here's a piece of trivia. Steve loves my trivia, right? You talk about laws being old. When was the original wiretap law written? Oh gosh,
2: I feel like I should know this. Uh, Oh good lord, I have no idea. Nineteen
0: twenty-eight. Oh, I would have gone
1: a little later than that.
0: Yep. Nineteen twenty-eight, and you know how they used to do some of the original wiretaps or the recordings? They were actually um, they would bring them in and they would record them on seventy-eight RPM discs. They would actually cut the record on the audio right on the disc, just like that. That's how can you imagine running a wire room right now with with a hey, I need some more 78s. Go out and get me some there.
1: Oh gosh. I did it with cassette tapes, and that was brutal. So
2: when we were in Columbia with the Columbia National Police, we didn't have PIN registers. And a pin register tells you the number that's calling, the number being called, date, time, and duration of the call. So that you get five things from a pin register. Well, they didn't have pen registers, the Columbia National Police. So what they would do is they would, they had the old Marantz cassette recorders, record the phone call, and you we would then transfer that recording to a reel-to-reel. Oh, I mean, talk about antiquated, the reel-to-reel. Oh. And then we would turn the volume up on the reel-to-reel and hand advance the reel and count the clicks. And that's how we di- identified the phone numbers. <laughs> wow. Talk about, talk about doing what you have to do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's people don't realize
0: that in some of these cases, it's like they, they think it's, they watch TV and they get this thing that is, oh, hey, it's very easily, I snap my fingers and I have a DNA test back in 15 minutes. Yeah. Right. It's uh, like, criminal minds uh,
1: destroyed us. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's also taught killers a lot about, you know, you st- when you start finding bleach at your crime scenes and there's no DNA and they start yes. understanding what they can do to avoid this. Yeah.
2: I thought when you were I thought when you were talking about the first T three, you were going to say that they tied a string to the the original string that connected the, the two tin cans. <laughs> we, we
0: did a ninety. It has to be at exactly ninety degrees from the original string uh, because there's a whole scientific thing about sine waves about yeah, you know the vibrations. The, the, Vibrations. The vibrations and the velocity of the string. So, you know, <laughs> hey, I've got this all figured out, man. Hey, you know, the first this the first real tool about being a bullshitter is you better be, better be able to bullshit about any topic somebody brings up. So That's right. <laughs> you, you throw something out there and it's kind of like... I remember, I learned this in college, and I used this one time, you get these smart-ass people that want to think that they're, it's like that movie from Goodwill Hunting, where uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are in the bar, and nobody knows, you know, Matt Damon's the really smart one, and he just takes this guy to town. But this guy was talking about, oh, Dante's Inferno, and you know, have you read Dante's Inferno, I said, in English, or the original version in Italian? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, well, I was talking about English, well, I hadn't read Dante's Inferno at the time, but what I did know, there were two versions of it, so, you know.
1: <laughs> that's awesome.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, look. We can't let you go without finally, you know, closing out on a couple of neat things. So, tell us, um, give us, give us, give us the commercial for a DEA for your what you guys are doing out there in Phoenix. So, tell us about your office, how big you are, um, you know, what kind of things you're working on, and you know what, I'd be really interested to, to the extent you can. On an average basis, how many cases are are open at a time you know that you're working on? I mean, just I think people need to understand when when you say you're being stretched to the bone, you know you're being stretched thin. you know you really are well so give us a commercial for uh why I should move from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Phoenix, Arizona, where it's one hundred and twenty degrees today
1: dry heat it's a dry <laughs> <heat>. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so um. Currently in this office, I have, or in the state of Arizona. So as the special agent in charge of the Phoenix Field Division, I encompass the whole state. So we have offices in Flagstaff, Lake Havasu, Phoenix, Tucson, Nogales, Yuma, and Sierra Vista. So I have agents spread out throughout the state doing their very best. I have approximately 150 agents, which is not a lot for the fourth largest city in the United States. Um, And then I have a cadre of Intel analysts, diversion investigators, and then support staff, Patco folks, IT folks, uh, contractors. That Patco. That what's Patco? Patco. We're, we're not allowed to call them that either. Thanks for that. So we're call them business operations. That's our administrative staff. So our okay. s- secretaries. I think that we're still allowed to call them that. Uh, group assistants. Um, investigative assistance and and so forth uh, a lot of the really important people that keep all the the pieces together they do together. a lot of
0: the hard work trust they, me they do a lot of the hard work and they keep they things do. rolling so that agents can spend time in the field and you know work in the cases
1: they do if i did not have my assistant i don't know what i would do because she really keeps me on track all the time. Um so we
0: have Along a, with all, your PIO bill, he's done a pretty g- good job.
1: And <laughs> my PIO. Which PIO is
0: Public Information Officer. So.
1: Yes, yeah, he does a good job of keeping me uh, focused. So, um we have the the 400 people total that work the mission here in Arizona. Our southwest border only has four groups, five groups really, six if you count the yuma too. So it's um a lot of work all the time and there's not a lot of of breaks. It is the most exciting and best place to work I think in the country because we are right here. This is the mouth of the serpent right here at the southwest border. Everything is coming through.
0: Funnels through there.
1: And so it is exciting. We have at any given time, we have hundreds of investigations that are open and ongoing. And of those investigations, most of them are considered a priority. So that means we are going after high-level offenders, uh, most of which are, are sitting in, in Mexico, which is, from where I sit, that's three hours. It's a three-hour drive to to all my bad guys to, to their turf. So... Um, if I were a DE agent, obviously, and I am, and I'm biased, of course, but I love Arizona because I love the work here, and what we do here in Arizona affects the entire country. If we're taking off six million pills, those are six million pills that didn't go to. But those are potentially
0: six million lives at some point that are not getting impacted.
1: You know? it, it, it is, and it, it means so much. My guys are so focused, and when I say guys, I mean my guys and girls. I'm just. Well,
0: I wasn't going to correct you on that yes. earlier because I know what you meant. When you say guys, we say it's a collective term. When we say guys, it's not. It's not gender specific. It's no, everybody.
1: Right. right, we're all, and we have great female agents. We have great male agents, um, but they're all doing the same job and they're working their butts off. Um,
0: Hey, let's ha- do this real quick. Here's an interesting exercise, and I want to talk about you last, but what give me a day in the life right now of an average DEA agent in Arizona? I mean, if you're working DEA, just so that people understand how hard and tough the work is, what is, what, what is an average work week, I should say, look like for uh, a lot of the agents?
1: So for most the agents, um, they keep a, a bag packed in their car at all times because you never know where you're going to end up. You never know if surveillance is going to take you to Milwaukee or uh, oh, Des Moines. God forbid,
0: especially during the winter, right?
1: Yes. I would not go on that surveillance. We know that. We've established that. I'm out. Um so that you keep a bag packed in your car all the time, and so typically what happens is your phone will ring around six or seven in the morning, and you're still in bed, hopefully. Um, and if you ha- if you're or you're at the gym, and you get your call, and it's the the wire room letting you know where your targets are and what's happening, what's going on for the day. So then you scramble. You usually grab a cup of coffee and a you know. Not, not a donut, but something healthy. That would be so
0: stereotypical to say cops eat donuts. We intend, it, we instead, it, and instead we tend to call those, I would prefer to call those, you know, combat carbohydrate protein packs.
1: <laughs> Carbs are important. Carbs are important. <laughs>
0: donuts. So, um,
1: They're
2: donuts. They're freaking donuts. <laughs> okay go back,
1: we try to stay off those because the gun belts have to fit yeah. so um so then you're out and you're out on the street and you're following your bad guys around and you work very closely with the case agents that are in the wire room and you are now involved in a in a drug deal and your day could go anyway narcotics officers and agents don't try to make plans. And it's one of those those mental health issues that we we deal with later because we're not very reliable. I can't tell you how many things I've missed, more than I've I've probably been to. But thankfully my family understands and my husband misses, you know, more than I do. So I guess it, it works out. My kids are fine. They'll be fine. Someday. Look <laughs> at jobs. they fine. Just give them a hug. Yes. Everything <laughs> will be okay. Um <laughs> So it is very stressful on your personal life. It's very stressful on your family life because you are going all the time. And the work that we're doing is so, it's a passion project, right? Because it's so important. And you know, if you don't make it to the deal, if you miss that deal and this poison gets out into the world, that's lives that you're saving. Those are, those are people that are Truly, the most violent and horrific people in the country are selling that stuff,
0: and so and this is like a this is like one of those World War II or spy movies where it truly is a ticking time bomb. And you've, I mean, if you don't get there, shit just blows up and and people die. I mean, that's the hard part too because you think of it's just pills and stuff, but I mean, when you look, Steve, what did you say ninety thousand?
2: I mean, I heard, over this, over this, this.
0: that's the ones we know about, right? And that's also the ones and how many were saved because of things like Narcan and stuff. How many people could be dead except for, you know, things like that? I just, I mean, how do you, it's, that's, that's the tough part too, is living with that each and every day, knowing when you go to bed at night, you go, have I done everything I can today to make sure that this doesn't hit the street?
1: Right. And we don't sleep a lot. We are really busy and it's the, the life balance is tough. Um, You really have to have your priorities in place and stick to your priorities all the time. You have to make an effort to do that because what we're doing is so important. And how do you say no to your team who's asking you for help? You can't. You have to be part of that enforcement piece. So it is high risk every day. It is a lot of hours. It is the most rewarding and exciting job with some days of complete boredom. And you both know, you've sat on surveillance. There are some days you sit there just getting fat in your car, eating burritos, mm-hmm. waiting for the guy to move, and nobody's moving. That would be yep. Steve
0: wearing his stretch pants, you know. <laughs> yeah, baby. Eating donuts. With <laughs> the elastic waistband.
1: Eating donuts. The Alaska, we all need an elastic waistband. Outfit. T- oh, no, no, no. So those
2: are called relaxed fit now. So <laughs> we're going relaxed This friendlier kind look, of and shit. We don't call them
0: cartels anymore. We call them yes. transnational criminal organizations. So
1: <laughs> we all have to, we have to yes.
0: redefine. Yes, kinder, gentler.
1: Yep. Oh, um, so so how about you?
0: you no, know, we'll finish that up, but then let's talk about you. What does a day in the life of a, of a special agent in charge look like? Because you are the HMFIC. I mean, everything rolls up to you in the state of Arizona.
1: Sure. When my phone rings, I promise you it's never good news. Never, never, never does somebody call and say, Hey, I got a puppy. They call with bad news all the time. Um, so I'm a slave to my phone. I, I, during the day, I have a lot of meetings and I try and do a lot with the community. I try and put myself out there as much as I can so that I can be a voice piece for my, for my agents and for my intel analysts and my diversion investigators. I, it's really important to me that I represent them in the best possible way because we don't take a lot of credit for what we do and we're not very good culturally as you know Steve to to stand up and say we did this or uh, give us the credit and so i think da has realized that that's not that's a disservice so we're trying to fix some of that a little bit and not necessarily take the credit but at least admit that we were there Right? That we were we were part of this, and we're also trying to do a lot more when it comes to outreach and education and prevention, which are also those unquantifiables, because what do we know? If somebody didn't take a pill, that never comes back to us. That feedback is yeah. not
0: really... How do you know? It's one of those things is you can put a cop on every street corner, but how do you know that cop actually stopped a crime? You know, at some point, you know, right. crime goes down. And that the point too is you just don't know. But the thing is, but you know what happens if you don't. You know what right. happens if you
1: stop trying, right? Right. And we can't stop trying. So, And that's for us every day. I think that's our our, our guiding principle, really. So for me... I um, I have a lot of meetings during the day. I meet with a lot of chiefs and do a lot of liaison with the sheriffs and, and our local partners because those partnerships are so important to us. And we want to make sure we live here too. We want to make sure that we are serving the community in which we live. And those relationships are paramount. We have a great network of law enforcement here in the state of Arizona. Uh, and we're still a state where people like us for the most part because we work really hard and, and- Well,
0: that's because you're a hugger. I mean, you go yes. to these places you, and everybody, it's Sherry the hugger, it's Huggy yeah. Bear, you know? <laughs> huggy Bear. Oh, Oh, this no. is, oh man, <laughs> this is, I'm getting you a t-shirt that says the original Huggy Bear.
1: Oh, it's going downhill, it's going downhill. Uh,
0: hey, actually, but you know, you bring up a good point too. Steve and I have a mutual friend whose name is also Steven, and I'm thinking of the work he was gonna do with the CIA's historical record section. There are so many untold stories just in the CIA archives that they've never done a good job of telling. Same thing with DEA, same thing with FBI, ATF, you know, U.S. Marshals. I think that even at the U.S. Marshals, I look at the number of kids they go out on a weekly basis and recover from this sex trafficking, you know, working with task force officers, working with state and local police, you know, to do this stuff. This is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast. We just thought that there were so many untold stories out there that needed to be told. And look, not all of these are, you know, and no offense to Steve Higgins, it's not everybody's Pablo Escobar. Those are those those kind of cases. Define themselves, but the point about it is, but the cases that you work, the cases that we talked to Lou Velozzi about, the cases that we talked, um, you know, to Dominic about, the cases that we talked to, you know, as Pam Barnum about, you know, up in in Canada, uh, great female detective up there became a federal prosecutor. I mean, she did so many things. So, story very similar to you about how she was, you know, how she was treated when she first came on doing dope work. She was basically arm candy, is what she called it. She was just there to hang off of somebody's arm. It's but, a perfect, but perfect. Perfect
1: words for it.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, it's because, you know, I'm the host of the show. I'm supposed to have these kind of skills (laughs) to articulate these things for you. But, you know, but I just think of all the great stories and like just, you know, to me, I I like the story about uh, what you guys did with San Mateo and that stuff. But, you know, the thing that impacted me more than anything else, because like you, I was thinking I was in the uh, Reagan building on 9-11. I was supposed to be in the Pentagon. We swapped meetings and stuff. And I remember walking across the bridge and, and Folks in the podcast will hear talk about this. But then I think about the reason we created TSA would to keep these people off. And so the case that you work there, to me, it's like, to me, as personally, as somebody who flies, haven't flown in a while, I'm actually got a couple trips coming up. But I'm going, I can't imagine, you know, we had we had 19 people armed with nothing but box cutters. Imagine arming somebody with plastic explosives or weapons, you right. know.
1: Uh, or a pound of fentanyl. I, I just All throw, I got to do is open that. Open it up every, and everybody dies. Plans. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, my God. You know, not to let the kid out of the bag here, Sherry, you are aware of this, but uh, and Morgan is as well, but, you know, in the not not-too-distant future, there may be a new television series coming out to show you what the real DEA does. Dun, dun, dun. That's all we'll oh, say for wait. now. That's dun, all we'll dun, say dun, for dun, now. Dun,
0: dun. We need we need some thin Johnny. I'm going to insert some music in here again, like I did on our first episode. You know, I entered some Latin music in here. It almost sounds like the theme from Narcos, but, you know, I'll have to get some Peter Gunn stuff. No, but again, people, you know what? I think the other thing, too, when we looked at the stats for, like, podcasts and why this is a good time to get involved with it, true crime has gone up 24% year over year in terms of downloads. Um We know people at Fox and other places, they can't get enough of true crime stuff. And I see some of this cheesy stuff on TV and I'm going, Uh, you know, we could, we could, and Steve talked earlier. This is one of the reasons why we want to do this. We, we listen to podcasts where people don't do any research. All they do is they basically read some articles and then they give their uninformed opinion about the way they think things ought to be done. And we said, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to have long form conversations to where now, look, we could have spent another four hours with you, but you got, you got stuff to do. And obviously I'm not that important. Steve is because you're naming a room after him and Javier in your office.
1: We are.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's called The the men's room.
0: (laughs) Well, it's the bathroom, but we didn't (laughs) want to say anything.
1: (laughs) They're my celebrity crushes. I say that all the time. Oh, I can't believe you're naming
0: a room after Steve and Javier. What's it going to be called? What's it officially called now?
1: Well, it will be our media room is going to be the, the, but we'll call it something very catchy. Um, But what they did for DEA is a recruitment thing. And I'm so grateful because they told the truth. And their truth is sexy, just like somebody else's truth is sexy. And I'm trying to attract the best and the brightest and the most capable people to be on my team because those are the people that I want to work with. And we all know law enforcement is going through a a hard time right now. But the truth is, if you are called to this job, this is not a job that is a job. It's a calling. And if you are called to this job, you come with a pure heart and you come with all of the right reasons that you want to do this job. And some of it, you know, some people are very focused on the mission and drugs. Some people are very focused on the, um, the investigations and being aggressive and, and all of those. And we need them all. We need all of the people that are called to be on our team because what we're doing is so important. We are saving lives. We are protecting this country. And so when Steve and Javier stand up and say, let me tell you about what we did to me that is the best recruitment tool that we have and then let's make a a, a mini series about it let's let's Shit. i gotta deal lots. with this
0: guy every time we go out to have coffee you know I who know. i am you know who I am? Have you watched Narcos? Have you watched Netflix? Have you read my book? Yes. You know, I'm, I'll yeah. tell you, it is. Just don't give them a big head over this, Sherry. Just, just make a name a waste basket after them. Don't name a whole freaking room after them. Oh,
1: uh, we're doing the whole room because they've done more for DEA than than I can do. They have taken the platform and said you should be part of this team. We do awesome work and how do i get more people that are like steve younger but like steve and like me and smarter and, you know did <laughs> come from
0: broomstick west virginia where was that Broomfield, broom broom it was bite me, bite west me, virginia. Bite me bite it was bite me west virginia
1: me, so Sharon, i think that if
2: i could mute him i would uh, <laughs> but i have control i run i run are, this you are so good for <laughs> our egos um uh, and and you, I mean, you know, we don't do this to take credit for anything. It's other I than know. to bring praise to DEA. And like you said, it's not a job; it's a lifestyle.
0: It's an adventure.
2: Oh, it's a hell look, of an, an adventure. You, if you want
0: to sit behind a desk and push TPS reports, you know, with the the, the, the bobs, you know, if you have yeah, ever the watched French the stapler. office, yes, yep. yeah, the stapler, Melvin. You know, I'm gonna I need my stapler back. I think I'm gonna have to bring this place down. You know, if you want to do that, <laughs> that's up to you. But if you want to kick ass, take names, make a difference in your country. Join the Navy. No, I'm sorry. No, Join no DEA. We'll take
1: you after the Navy. And the, yeah. yes. yeah. yeah. the Navy. We we'll, love the Navy. We'll take you in conjunction with the
0: Navy. Hey, final question. You're in a brand new office. Are they going to let you out of that room? Because you weren't able to get out of that room earlier. You didn't have the code. <laughs> Hey, Bill, so th- if you're listening, Bill, Sherry needs extraction. Staff.
1: <laughs> the government is a, a many splintered thing. And sometimes we do things, and it always works out. It's just a little uncomfortable in the meantime. So, you know, we're still – it's growing pains. This building is going to be amazing, like – by the time we named the room after Steve and Javi. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, uh, Bill just texted me the code. Apparently, it's a very secure code. One, two, three, four. Who would have thought of that? That's, yeah, that's standard. That's standard. <laughs> All right. Well, sure. I can't tell you how much. First of all, oh, let me tell you folks that are listening, final thing here. You don't understand what it's like that we've now gone probably three and a half hours. This is the special agent in charge of the entire state of Arizona for DEA, you've got lots of things to do. you got people to liaise with, hugs to give, T-shirts to make, you know, to wear. You know, we're getting you a T-shirt too, seriously, the original Huggy Bear. that That is going to come out. You know, and for you to give us three and a half hours, I mean, that I can't tell you, first of all, how thankful we are. We had some fun on this. You know, we take the topic seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. But for you to spend this kind of time, um, can't tell you appreciate it. You know, thank you so much. And actually, you know, thank the bill. Bill really helped, you know, set it, set this up quite a bit. And thank you just for taking the time for doing this. I mean, you you had other things you could have been doing and instead just spent three and a half hours with a couple of wise guys. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I'm honored to be here. It is so important to me. Every time that we have the opportunity to talk about the great things that the men and women in law enforcement are doing, I will take that every time. so important. And our our citizens need to know how hard we are working to keep them safe. And we have to be the ones to tell them. So thank you for using your voice. Thank you for giving me one. Um, I hope it's well-received.
2: Well,
0: Well, no, it's going to be when when I give Steve his stripper name and have him wear his T shirt free hugs here you know um, it's coming baby it's coming I'm telling you it was you. a
1: long time ago I was much thinner in a galaxy
0: <laughs> far far away we get that too but guess what and there's episodes four five six one two and three of Star Wars there's a whole we we can we we've got sequels for this coming don't we worry keep this going
2: <laughs> sherry it's uh, and I just want to say thank you for you know you're you are a true American hero you've dedicated your life to serving your fellow man God bless you God bless your husband your children Look forward to seeing you soon out in Phoenix. Uh, Thanks for building my ego up today. I'm going to go tell my wife how important I am now.
0: That'll go over real
1: big. You you can't see, the folks can't see this, but this is me saluting
0: you. Thank you again. You did awesome work.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Steve, I got to tell you that for a Fed, she has one of the best sense of humors I've ever run into. And normally the Feds aren't funny. It's like Tommy Lee Jones, you know, said in that uh, movie with Will Smith, you know, Men in Black. Uh, we at the FBI have no sense of humor that we're aware of. You know,
2: <laughs> if they wanted us to have a sense of humor, they would have issued one in we the sure academy, had. and they didn't. No. No, it's funny. It's uh, you know, and, and there's there are um, there's a lot of people that get promoted. You know, special agent charge of DEA. That's the top. The next promotion is a presidential appointment. So that's a very high level senior executive service. Uh, and a lot of folks, when they get promoted to that, all of a sudden this air of importance envelops them, and they think they're hot shit. You know, and that's what I loved about Sherry. I've never met Sherry in person. I talked to her on some other projects on Zoom and so forth, but she has the best sense of humor. I love this girl. And not only that, but she did some
0: kick-ass stuff. I mean, everything from the pills they've taken. You know, she was talking about the nine and a half million pills, the um, just the amount of uh, fentanyl that it hadn't been allowed to go into the state of – and Arizona's kind of the – entry it's kind of the focal point for where a lot of this stuff is happening. That I mean that's a gateway. Use,
2: that's a gateway state right there.
0: It is a gateway. And you hate to say the war on drugs, but man, um they are involved in this every single day, just like what we talked about at the beginning of the episode when they were doing the train interdiction with the, you know, officer that did the DE agent that was killed, the others that were wounded. It is a dangerous there is a ton of money involved in this. And Everything from her just working the Hells Angels to faking the murder, um, yeah. you know, and doing the stuff. I, but I'll tell you, I still crap my pants. Uh, she says she's never crapped her pants for the record, but again, she wasn't under oath. But, but you know, Steve, one of the most eye-opening things was the case she worked on the TSA agents. And, you know, you think about how easy it would have been to get something aboard an aircraft.
2: It's scary. I mean, holy cow! It's really scary. It's uh, you know, you look at what happened down in Colombia with uh, Pablo Escobar putting that bomb on the Avianca flight. It's it's very similar, but and that was a different time, but still. Uh, but, and that was Lakika who went to jail for lying to the feds, as you told me. Damn right! <laughs> and, and, and he got box. five years. So if I ask you a question, you lie. You better look out, brother. You're you
0: going on? to jail for five years, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that. I'm telling you, that was. I never laughed. I, I don't think I've laughed as hard as with her. And just, just even the, from the beginning, where I said, "What do people call you, the Wizard of Oz?" She goes, "No, sometimes they call me the Wicked Witch." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, you know what? She just has that look that I got a good sense of humor, but don't piss me off.
0: Oh, yeah. Don't mistake my kindness for weakness there, That's pal. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, well, hey, if you enjoyed that, just hit on over to Apple uh, Podcast. Hit us up with five stars if you're on Spotify, if you're on Stitcher, whatever you listen to. Just hit that magic button. It really helps us out, and it helps us get you more guests like Sherry. Great. I mean, she had great stories like that, so we don't know exactly how it works. It's David Blaine. It's Magic Kingdom. It's David Copperfield, all wrapped into one, right? Head on over to Game of for more info about the show. We constantly update it uh, with information, merch, Patreon, uh, you know, and maybe some live shows. We're we're trying to figure that out. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter and at Game of crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, PayPal.com, Game of at gmail.com or paypal.me slash game of crimes Whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and help keep Murph from eating cat food. That is our goal. That's right.
2: Absolutely. And thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: Hey, and now just a quick interruption in the outro. Because we promised you we would do this. Steve didn't want to do this. And I said, we're going to do this. So I finally <laughs> twisted his arm, got him back on. We're going to just do a quick cover of Steve's proposed stripper names. Oh, so, boy.
2: And, and I just I want to say right now, Morgan, I have avoided our fan page on Facebook because I wanted to be surprised by all this. But <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I want to hear all this. Well, here we go, and I got the names of
0: the people who submitted them, too. So, Jose Del Rio, Stud Muffin. I'm going, yeah,
2: not real. Yeah, no, baby, not.
0: now he No, not. no, no, no. Sandy, our favorite mafia queen, Sandy uh, Salvato, Sexy Muff. Uh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Muff or Murph? Muff. No, uh, Sexy <laughs> Muff. So, uh, Dan Smith says, The Stay Puff Man. Yeah, you kind of got that marshmallow look to you.
2: Oh, yeah, I do in older age, that's for sure.
0: Now- Caitlin Gonzalez, where the hell have you been living? She came up with three names for you. One of them was Candyman, which is okay, you know. Okay. But that doesn't go with your initials, and she said that. The other yeah. one is Throbbing Hood. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Steel Machine. Yeah,
2: baby. There you go. That's yeah. me. Uh, I don't
0: know. I don't know. So, Christy Kelly, she said, too, she said Stud Muffin, but I like her second one. She's Spuds McKenzie. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, when you finish, I will tell you what it was, when I was in DEA. Okay, so Jessica, stop. She actually came up with
0: three names. So strip tease, Steve.
2: Woohoo! Hey, that's not bad. <laughs> well, maybe that's just something that you get in your mind. You never want. <laughs>
0: you don't want to see Steve strip tease, man. I'm uh, telling you. You cannot unsee that. So Jessica, right. stop. Six pack, Monty.
2: Never. Dude. that's never no. been me. Never.
0: The only time Steve's ever had a six-pack is when it came in cans and he held it in his hand.
2: Let me tell you what. My wife said, get in shape. I said, baby, round is a shape.
0: Pair <laughs> pear shape is a shape, yes. And then her final one, Major Spank. Ooh, oh, Spank. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where that one's going. Okay. <laughs> Monica Hernandez, though, I think nailed it. Small but mighty.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I'm 6'2". I'm not small. I wonder what she's talking about I don't think she was talking
0: about your height.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. We could go a lot of ways with that, but my wife might listen to the show, and I'd just be embarrassed.
0: Hold on. So here we go. That was a drum roll.
2: Okay. All right. All right. So, and actually two people came up with it. The very first one. And then later on, when I reported to Greensboro, from I'd been in Miami and then Columbia, and I went to Greensboro, North Carolina, the secretary in the office took my initials and named me Stud Muffin. I hated that name. I still hate that freaking name.
0: So congratulations to Jose Del Rio and Christy (laughs) Kelly. You nailed it. Stud Muffin.
2: What do you get? You get to tune in next week and listen to another show. You get it for free.
0: All right. Well, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. And, and hey, guys, you got to do, you have to head on over to patreon.com slash game of crimes. You know, that the, the community's really growing. We got a lot of content coming out. Uh, last month, we raided uh, on the Narcometer Training Day, which I thought, you know, that was an awesome little movie. Denzel watched. You know, a little tough on the movie, but, you know, Denzel, great actor. Ethan oh, Hawke actually did a great job. Yeah, just uh, – he's always does such a great job and really gets into it. And by the way, as you were telling me, one of the factoids – you can only find this if you're listening on our episode on Patreon.com mm-hmm. – is Denzel kind of winged a lot of – he he improvised a lot of the lines.
2: He's, fantastic. he's a fantastic actor. He really is. He just seems like a good person.
0: Well, speaking of a good person, we got a good person coming up for our next episode. I, I don't want to say too much, uh, but we are going to do something a little different. We're going to try and pull this off. So, but next episode, we've all heard about the Beltway Sniper, the DC Sniper, Malvo and Muhammad. Well, guess what, guys? We've got somebody who was you don't get any closer than this. The first person point of view, he was there as member of the Montgomery County Police Department Maryland SWAT team when they took down Malvo and Muhammad. He was involved in a lot of the operations. Jeff Nice is gonna be our guest on episode 18. And I'm telling you, what a not only a fantastic story, but when you hear his story about what he's had to struggle and go through and what he was diagnosed with and how his mentality about how he's uh, survived this, um, it, I'm telling you, I, we both lived in the area during that time. I thought I knew a lot about it because we lived through it, but Jeff brings a point of view you can't get from anybody else except first person. The dude was there. He was there when they arrested them, when they took them down in that uh, blue Chevy Caprice. So I think that's going to be an outstanding episode.
2: It is, and and wait till you hear the story about he and his partner when he was a rookie. And I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to spoil it. You're going to have to tune in though. But it's, it's
0: a nice story. Uh, yes, it
2: is. And <laughs> hey, it might, by the way, it might have a sweet outcome.
0: Uh, yeah, and you know what? Speaking of a sweet outcome, we're going to do something a little different. Steve's got to pull this off as we're recording this. He's got to get a hold of somebody. But we're going to do what we call a special episode embed. We've got somebody, uh, you know, from the technical side, kind of a nerd, maybe a geek. (laughs) <laughs> but actually, worked on some stuff with 9 11 and worked on uh, the laptop that was seized from those guys. So he's got a unique point of view. And we're going to see if we can't do so You're going to have to stay tuned to part two of uh, episode 18 with uh, Jeff Nice when we talk about the DC sniper. We're going to do a special, you know, mini episode we call an episode embed. And so, so Steve, you're on the hook, baby. You got to get that set up.
2: And I'll be reaching out to Aaron today. Uh, I had the pleasure of working with Aaron when I was assigned to Special Operations Division. He's fantastic. He might be the smartest man I've ever met in my entire life. Well, present company excluded, yes. Uh, No, you're included. I would never leave (laughs) (laughs) you out. We'll see what kind of meme comes out of this one, right?
0: Yeah, well, we'll see. All right, guys. So, everybody, stay tuned. We got some good stuff coming up for you. And thank you for playing the biggest game of all. The Game of Crimes.